0: Good morning and welcome to Tip Today this Thursday morning. Alison here filling in for Fran this morning. Coming up on this morning show, an update from our friend Cara Darmody on her weekly visits to Lancer House. We'll be checking in with her in just a few minutes. The traffic chaos surrounding Tipperary Town continues. We'll be speaking to more people affected today. Does anyone have a house coat anymore? It's an interesting topic. We put it up on our social media yesterday and we got a huge response to it. So we'll be speaking more about the house coat. and if you have any memories of them or if you wear one, we'd love to hear from you today. Also our GP Pat Harold will be joining us later. Changes to the Leaving Cert coming in from September. What students and parents need to know. Molly May Haig also reveals her baby daughter's unique name. It's been uh, gathering a lot of headlines over the last couple of days. We'll be getting your views on it throughout the morning. Also Amy Ford from the Farmers Journal will be joining us uh, to tell us about the latest farming news. And Muriel Cuddy of Marito 8020. Fran went down for a visit there yesterday and we'll hear more from him later on. We're also continuing our competition this morning. This week, you know, we've teamed up with Talbot Fitness in the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel as they launch their Leisure Centre membership sale. Our daily prize is a gift voucher for a month's Leisure Centre membership in the award-winning leisure facilities at the Talbot, which gives you access to the gym, sauna, jacuzzi, steam room and swimming pool. Uh, So we'll be giving you a chance to win that throughout the morning. All you have to do is text TALBOT Followed by your full name and address to text or WhatsApp OE three three double one double three double one. That's also open for anything you want to discuss with us this morning. Emma is also standing by on the phone on 007. Would love to hear from you this morning. Now, our latest uh, update on a Thursday morning now coming from 12-year-old Art Finan girl Karma Darmody who uh, joins us every Thursday now. She is spending, I'm sure you know, she's spending one day a week in Leinster House as part of a continuation of her campaign to secure better services for families dealing with autism. She joins me now to share her latest update. Cara, good morning. Hi, Alison. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Great to talk to you this morning, Cara. Tell us, how was yesterday? First of all, before I start, I think that you are absolutely amazing on the radio. Oh, thanks. You're the Claire Byrne of Tip FM. <laughs> I think Claire Byrne would be insulted by that, but thank you very much. Tavi, you were up there again yesterday, were you? Yeah, well, I
1: actually have lots of stories and gossip for you this morning once again. I actually didn't get home from Leinster House until 9pm last night because it was so crazy up oh, there. Oh my goodness, tell us so what happened. So here we go on this week's roller coaster ride. The big story this week is a disgraceful disability payment story. It's the one where the last few governments must have known that these vulnerable people who are, who are sick or disabled were entitled to these disability payments. Alison, it is the talk of Leinster House. Yeah. I'm sorry, but people with disabilities must be treated with extra care. Not less care. I have been saying it on this station so often that there is disability discrimination going on and it needs to be called out. Mm. And no matter what the government says, they were just not nice to these vulnerable people at all. You cannot justify this type of behaviour just to save some money. You cannot put money before people's welfare. I am really mad about this, because this is an example of how people with disabilities are routinely treated against, whether it's in the autism awesome world or any type of disability whatsoever. So, I'm going to start off with an early grading here. For treating vulnerable disabled people in this kind of way, the government gets an awful grade F this week. Sorry folks, but you need to cop on pretty pronto. I think that they should pay every single penny back to anyone who should have gotten these payments or to their families that they have passed on. Full stop. Should sure David could have said on TV that he wouldn't have followed the AG's advice because it's wrong. They must have known it was wrong and it makes me so mad. Mm.
0: And what was the reaction to it yesterday? Were you talking to anyone else around Leinster House about it?
1: Yeah, I was. So I was talking to
0: other people and I suppose I guess it, it,
1: what they're doing is so wrong that they must have known that it's wrong, and that they're pushing money first before mm. these people's needs, and that these vulnerable people can't fight for themselves, and that they're taking their uh, they're taking their only money off them.
0: Yeah.
1: Like it's it's the it's a disgrace, Alison.
0: Karen mm. tell me, I know you were hoping to meet Education Minister Norma Foley as well this week. Were you able to to sit down and talk to her? Yes, that's actually the
1: next story. Oh, great. So. I also got to meet the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. That meeting was set up by Jackie Cahill, by the way. Thanks a million, Jackie. You're the man. <laughs> I wanted to meet her so that I could advocate for better disability services, HSE accountability, and for carers allowance to be fully reviewed. Oh. But I also had to ask her for an exemption to sit the Leaving Certain Maths exam next June. Wait until you hear this, answer. You have to be 16 years old by law to take a Leaving Cert exam. Really? 16 years old. So I told her that I was only a few days off from that. <laughs> when she asked how many, I said something like, I'm only around 1,200 days too young. <laughs> I should have
0: told her that we use different calendars in our fitness. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but will she kind of, um, will she fold it on on that? Yeah,
1: but um. anyway, but the main thing is is that she said she'll try and keep me out of Mountjoy. Gee, <laughs> imagine if I ended up in the same cell as Enoch Burke. That would be some dust. Anyway, the minister was really, really nice to me. I actually played her some clips of my recent Rock This Commission appearance, it's, and it really had an effect on her. Overall, it was a really good meeting, as she's a cabinet member with loads of influence. She did ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, too. So... For a bit of crack, I told her that I wanted to be the Minister for Education. Oh. She was really nice, though. So, for a really productive meeting, the Minister gets a decent great C this week, and does Deputy Jackie Cattle, too, who has been very vocal in the door for people
0: with disabilities. Well done, folks. Keep up the good and great work. Well, well done. C isn't a bad one. What other news have you for us this week, Cara? Finally,
1: I just have a small, a few small bits Um just for the moment. So, I met a politician at the House called Martin Conway. He is a senator from County Clare and is such a nice man. But he is actually our very first visually impaired politician. He was born that way, but it hasn't stopped him from achieving his goals. He is such an advocate for disability. Well done, Martin. You're an inspiration to myself and others. Also... In the news from Leinster House this week is Simon Harris. He's bringing in body cameras for Gardaí. That law is being pushed on the table this month. He's been all action since he became Minister for Justice... Also, I was thrilled to see that Tipperary County is getting over €4 million for walkways and cycleways. I think it's absolutely brilliant for everyone. I suppose I just dream of the day when the government will see fit to allocate money to stop families paying privately for assessments and therapies that are the state's responsibility responsibility to pay for. Maybe my dream will come true someday and finally I'm one of the speakers at the As I Am Autism National Conference in Dublin next week. So I'll bring you all the gossip and stories next week right here on Ireland's number one radio station, TIP FM. Oh, that's so, brilliant, Alison, yeah. that's, this, that's all of this week's action from Leinster House.
0: Excellent. Carol, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. What day is that conference that you'll be speaking at next week? That's on, it's going to be on Saturday, so I'm going to bring you lots of gossip next week. I'll look forward to it and good luck with it. Are you enjoying going up every week?
1: Yes, I enjoy it so much. I love going on the train and it's so fun because, yeah, and donuts as well because the well. donuts taste really good. The offbeat donuts in Houston, they're the best.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully, look, we put in the plugs, so hopefully they might show you a free one maybe next week. Kara, great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again next Thursday morning, OK? You too. Thank you so much for having me on. All Bye. the best. Thanks, Cara. We'll check in with Cara again next week. Uh, we'll see how the conference went. And for the latest gossip from Leinster House, from our, our dull correspondent there, Cara Darmody. Now, we also are continuing our discussion this morning about Tiptown. If you were listening yesterday, you'll know Fran spoke to a number of people, um, both who live in the town and work in the town. And speaking about this very contentious article in The Nationalist last week that described Tiptown as one of the worst places in Ireland to drive through. Um, Lisa McGrath is a member of March for Tip campaign and she joins me on the line now. Lisa, good morning. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm great, Lisa. Good to talk to you this morning. Can I ask, what's your reaction to this? A lot of division over this. Some saying it it, it was an appropriate title, that what was said in that article is indeed correct. And a lot of people saying it was very unfair and, and painted to the town in a very bad light. Where do you stand on it?
2: Yeah, I was. you know, it's very... We all know that it is a difficult place to... First of all, to drive through. And, I mean, uh, when March for Tip got together, that was one of our main issues was trying to sort out the main street and while we were going in there all gung-ho thinking that it would be, you know, almost done overnight we've now realised that it's a very very long process Mm. Um, but like people are working (coughs) people are working so hard, people realise how difficult it is and and how, uh, you know and they're working so hard to make things better. And when you constantly see the negativity all the time, it's very hard to rise above that then. I think, like, we know that it's not ideal, but let's try to keep a little bit positive while being realist at the same time. And I know that that can be, maybe that sounds idealist, but uh, look, everybody, I know the task force, March Clip, Tip, Tiny Towns and other groups, I really are working hard to try and improve things.
0: Yeah, Lisa, I, I get the feeling. I know you're trying to be very kind and polite about yeah. it, but I, I feel like you, you kind of see both sides of it then. Am I correct in saying that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There is there is absolutely no denying that it is a terrible place, that the main street is like... Uh, it has gone gotten worse and worse even since March for Tip started their campaign. Uh, the traffic has um, exploded because of, you know... The, the 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 port and not the port tunnel and whatever is down there and uh, also with the closures on the main street I mean you you would there's no point in denying that it is really bad but yeah. there are people working hard there is you know we're gathering information all the time like the vacant property workshop the report after that there was the collaborative town centre health check and uh, the task force is trying to work with businesses to support them wow. and, around how they can repurpose their buildings yeah. uh, so there is work going on there and unfortunately that 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 kind of information isn't always out there in in the public domain so people don't realize um so it, it's really hard and it is so hard to constantly see the amount of negativity all the time and i mean i live work play do everything in this town and i i love I love being involved in the process of trying to make it better. But sometimes it is so hard to keep that positivity up.
0: And do you think that's part of the problem, what you were saying, that there's an, an awful lot of work that goes on in the background that a lot of people don't see? And because they don't see that, what they see then is is complete inaction. So does yeah. there need to be more transparency about what exactly is going on and what's being looked at?
2: Yeah, I'm I, 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 absolutely. The information needs to be put out there more to the public. Um, but then you have the issue, like as as in the task force, you have Michael Begley, who's a project manager, and he's so busy trying to support uh, community groups and businesses in the town and trying to get all the, the loads of projects that are in the pipeline up and running. It's very hard to do everything. Mm. The task force is underfunded. It needs more serious funding from the government. And and what would be an amazing uh, addition is somebody who would be able to get this information out to the public, to let them know that stuff is being done. We're not being left on our own. Um, you know, there are projects in the pipeline like Dan Breen House, like The Hills, And I know that they're not on the main street, but they will impact on uh, business uh, in the future, you know, when all these things get up and running.
0: Who would you like to see doing that? Uh, As in the role of of putting out that information and being maybe a a bit of a spokesperson for what's happening? um, I suppose,
2: gosh, I hadn't thought about that. I suppose the the task force, it's the task force who knows all this information between the task force and the council. So maybe if there was somebody, if there was some post that could be created, a uh, PR post, God, it doesn't have to be a full-time job. Now, this mm-hmm. is only me spitballing here. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just saying it, it is important that this information does get out to the public so that the public know that there is, there are projects in the pipeline that's things are going to get
0: better. Yeah, and I know to be fair to the local councillors in the area as well, they're always very good to, when we're discussing Tip Town to come on the show and explain exactly what's yeah. going on and the work that's being done. So it's maybe if, if they were able to do that, maybe a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. And, and I
2: mean, Alison, you know yourself, people get their information in so many different yeah. ways. It's hard to cover all the bases as well.
0: Yeah, Lisa. Could I ask you then? We're edging ever closer to the N24 realignment project being approved, or, or the route being approved. Does yeah. that give you some hope that we're edging a little bit closer to that?
2: Yeah. Look, and, and and I mean, I know people have said that we were here before. We were at this stage and further before, and then everything collapsed. But it's just, I don't think people were. Well, I'm not sure. I wasn't. Ba- I wasn't around back then. But um, I'm sure. People are more passionate now. We have more groups, and we have amazing uh, TDs uh, like Matthew McGrath, like Michael Lowry, uh, Jackie Cahill, just pushing, pushing all the time, and keeping our keeping our um, our bypass uh, forefront. You know, mm. um, and I mean, I know it's the, the the planning stage. We're funded up into the planning stage until twenty twenty four, and after that, then I think we'll have to start pushing and pushing to make sure we get fund it to get that
0: bypass done.
2: Yeah, because um, it, it
0: feels like we're closer than we ever were yeah. to it, I think. It, would that be fair to say? Yeah,
2: I definitely think so, because I think there's a lot more conversation about it now uh, than there was before. Uh, it's constantly spoken about in the Dáil. Uh You know, I, I, I would hope that it is the case that the government will be afraid not to fund us, yeah. because there'll be uproar if they don't.
0: What have you been hearing from people then? Because, uh, you know, this job being what it is, you tend to hear more of the negative. You don't tend to hear as much of the positive. But what's been the reaction you're getting to the realignment route? Are, are the majority of people generally happy with it?
2: Um, you know, as somebody said, if, if you if you had the route out in the Sahara Desert, they'd come, some people would complain about it. Mm. But I think, I think, well, I hope the majority of people realise that the engineers and anybody, all the stakeholders that are involved in picking the route, they want the best route possible that that has the least impact yeah. on people and on the environment. That's, that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And that's what they're trying to achieve. Um, and I hope that people realize that at the end of the day and that, that that the engineers are available. People, if they have issues, they can go and they can speak to them. Um, you know, it, it's very open, it's very transparent and it's very obvious from us because as March Tip we did go and, and meet with the engineers and they were so happy to answer all the questions that they could they answer for us. Yeah. Uh, so it's obvious that, you know, everybody, they are all trying to get the best route possible. And I, and I I think that a lot, the most people do believe that.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you, finally, Lisa, a number of listeners yesterday made the call that we should be banning HTVs from the centre of Tiptown. Is that something you would go along with?
2: Well, I would imagine that when we do get the, the bypass, that they will People be gone. They do that for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would absolutely agree. And you, and you do see that coming into town that, uh, you know, the, the bypass route is for heavy goods vehicle only, that they're not allowed through the main street. Mm. I would absolutely agree with that. And, and no, what, what HGV actually wants to go through the main street? Yeah. It's, you know, it's slow, cumbersome and and uh, nobody nobody likes seeing them coming through the town.
0: Absolutely. Lisa, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for making time for us.
2: Thank you very much. All the best. Thank you.
0: That's Lisa McGrath there, who's a member of the March for Tip campaign. Just to bring you a couple of texts that we're getting in this morning. Uh, Tom, where's he gone, Tom? Or Thomas says, I'm delighted Cara is on. She makes my Thursday. She's amazing. Thank you, Cara, for everything. You're super, and we love you. Thanks for that. B was also in touch with us. Uh B says, I was watching the news last night, and as the ma'am of a special needs son, the newest scandal of this and former governments regarding the non-payment of the disability allowance to the most vulnerable citizens. Twelve thousand of them were denied their payment. This really affected me. I just want to say Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Greens and anyone supporting you. You are the lowest of the low and you need to get out of Government Now. That's from B. Keep your texts coming into us. 083 311 331 or 1800 938 007. Just before we go to the ad break as well, I want to wish Conor Sweeney well. I was sorry to hear about his injury. He's out for the season. Uh, from my own club as well in Ballyperine. So Conor, just from everyone here, we wish you a speedy recovery and enjoy the break because God knows you've earned it. But uh, we want to wish you all the best from here.
3: Welcome back
0: to Tip Today and just hearing the ad there for the Hearty Cup final. How exciting it is for the people of Thurles and Cashel for two tip schools to be facing into that final on Sunday. It's going to be some match. Uh, hopefully I'll be there as well to see it myself but really looking forward to it and wishing everyone well. I know it's going to be tough for students. A lot of them in the middle of prees now at the moment as well. So uh, a lot of pressure on them. So best of luck to everyone involved on Sunday and you're certainly doing your county proud. Uh, keep those texts coming into us. 083 one or We were speaking about rubbish on roadsides earlier in the week. Uh, Noel was on with Fran. Mike was in touch with us as well to share his concerns and he joins me on the line now. Mike, good morning.
5: Good morning, Alison. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, Mike. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell us, what, what's been your experience? How bad is the rubbish rubbish situation in your area?
5: Uh, it was just after you touched on the subject there, was a Tuesday or whatever, I was happened to be driving a tractor from running for to Tarlis and it's amazing when you're going along in your own little world what rubbish you see on the road like both fresh stuff, old stuff and it becomes very apparent as the vegetation decays like you know yeah. it, it, it gets more obvious like it, it, it's a scourge, I don't know what mentality it has to load up your car or jeep and go out and put it on the side of the road like you know is there not someone under the same roof as you that would say that we all know it's wrong? Everyone listening to the program this morning knows it's the wrong thing to do with it, like you know. Mm. And like why, why you'd pull up on the side of the road and wait for it to them down and get out and throw out the your rubbish there is is beyond belief, like you know.
0: Yeah. You're talking um, about kind of mounds of rubbish then but I often wonder is this new system that we have for recycling, is that to blame for it a lot? And it's it's not the fault of the bin men at all but when they open the bins and there's loose plastic or whatever inside and some of it is going to blow out and maybe that's responsible for some of it as well, I'd always nah,
5: I I don't think, no, I, no I, you would be seeing more deliberate where people get their black bags or whatever or miscellaneous bits and they put them in their vehicle and they deliberately drive out on the road to dispose of them or in over the ditch or whatever. Like, you yeah. know, like I think what would blow around would only be, wouldn't even be 1% of what rubbish is out there, like, you know. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many proper ways to get rid of it. Like, the, the We Ireland have their re- recycling days, their electrical things, that you have a closed day, collection day at you know, uh, it's in a town or a village near you. You know, and it's there's no excuse. Like you know, yeah. the, the, even the 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 centres, you'd often we we'd take an hour, locality or more, whatever. You take, you fill up your jeep or your car, and you take it on, and you meet people so happy to get rid of it yeah. properly, and it's a load up their mind. It's really like Christmas to have all that stuff gone, and it's not. It's not expensive to get rid of. That's not really determined at all. That the price of it, like you would get rid of a lot, of, a lot of rubbish for twenty for no, euro, like uh, you know? for
0: nothing. A lot of it for nothing.
5: You know, it's 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 it, it's just a bad habit, I suppose. You know,
0: yeah. I like, often um, wonder as well. Like if you'd be walking up a mountain or in a wood somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and you'd come across a mound of rubbish, and you'd think the effort it took to come all the way up yeah. here and dump that when it could have been done Boy, a lot easier.
5: Like when you had your trader loaded why not just take it to the proper place yeah. you know and like it it can't be just one person there are someone else in the same house that would would they not say johnny that's the wrong thing to do where are you going with that at 10 o'clock at night like you know yeah. or or your other half or your brother or as Doina works is a day in the house that might say <laughs> you know stop where are you going like you know like i know uh, a farmer here uh, your farm plastic, you have an audit or board be audit there every year and a half or whatever. And one of the hundred and one questions you will be asked is, what do you do with your plastic up the hills? Like, and they will look for a receipt to say that you dispose of it. Like, in they have their open days in the local co-ops or whatever. Like, and there's no issue with that. Like, you know, and there had to be a big lot of rubbish or small. There's no excuse, you know. Yeah. There's the
6: I didn't realise that. I, I don't no, know how you'd you address it. Give- sorry,
5: I don't know how you address it. Like it's, as I say, everyone listening to your, to any program knows it's wrong to throw it out in the road, but sure. Ter- 99% will take it to the recycling centres or whatever, like, you know.
0: Yeah, and Mike, as well as that, like, wasn't that long ago as well, and I know a lot of people still do it, they'd go out with their bags or a community council will come together and go out and do maybe the roadsides. You don't see an awful lot of that anymore. And if you do, it's the same people all the time who are having to do it. Should, should
5: that be, like, some of the tidy towns people who yeah. win the awards, there's all voluntary groups that do that. Like, you know, such... I think the other morning, one of your or friends' contributors said they had the young lads picking it up, and the young lads them "Why do I have to do this?" Like you know? know, but but if you start young, they might learn from it, and uh, you know that it, it has been done. Yeah, it has been done in our own area as well. Like over time, and yet to come, come back in five years' time, and you still see more bags rubbish dumped in it again. Like you know,
0: do you definitely think it's worse now than it ever was?
5: Well, it's 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 there. It's it's a it's, it's a trend. I don't know. It, you know, some people. It's like COVID. You you'd imagine the obvious things that you wouldn't have to tell people, but but you can keep telling them to the cows come home. They're not going to. They're not going to. Um, they're still going to do their own thing. I don't know how you'd address the situation. Yeah. You know, like I don't think five euro for a black bag of rubbish or even less, and the recycling is almost free. I can't see that as being a deterrent, like, you know. Mm.
0: And Mike, what are you seeing in terms of rubbish? Does it, is it generally tend to be the same? Like, is it just bits of plastic or or cans Well, it's it's
5: that and it's everything in between, to be honest with you. Like, when you would sit up on your tractor, like the other morning when someone said the cyclist was able to see it, but you, you can see a lot of a tractor or truck or whatever. There's everything. And then if it's there a while it decays and yeah. then it, if the vegetation is caught it, it's caught up like confetti and it's even worse like That's you know thing. yeah
0: and it pulls it, it out of the hedge and throws it
5: out it does the of course yeah. And I, I suppose granted when the grass grows up again can be forgotten about it, it don't be as obvious, but it won't it, obvious but it's there it's everywhere it's not just on that road it's on every road you know I am saying that like it's, it could have been any road I was driving. it's just I, I don't know I don't yeah. know how it's, it's, I suppose there's no time to talk about it but I don't know how you know, why you have, it's so hard to get through to some people, like, you know, on, yeah. on that subject, like, you know.
0: I think, Mike, you're, there's probably a, a multi-pronged approach that needs to be taken. Maybe start with kids, uh, maybe call out people who you see dumping, as well as that we need to be more active in terms of going out and gathering it up.
5: Yeah, well, gathering up, I suppose, could you be more active in deterring in people doing from it. throwing it in yeah. the first place? Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's unfortunate that the same people have to go gather it up like I, I don't, you know I, the, the, I mean as I say in our own area there's three different lorries come, we're out in the country so to speak and there's three different crowd, lorry bin lorries that come like there's no like, that's, and I'm sure that's the same in every area like why why would you not, and if you're not just taken to the centre, why, where is where is the place that you can't get rid of it if you have four options of getting rid of it, like, you know.
0: I know. I could imagine those people would feel awful dumping it. Well, obviously they don't and that's the problem, but I couldn't imagine going yeah. up with a train. I, know, I remember
5: well. the one of the environment ministers back, they said that you'd start to have to account for, if, you, if you're not doing a bin or whatever, that you will be checked up to know what are you doing with it. Yeah. But sure, like everything that never,
0: that nothing ever
5: came of that, like, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting you know, to see. Mike, good to
5: talk to you this morning. Yeah. Sorry, just just before you go, I yeah. I'd be the farmer myself just to acknowledge the sudden passing of Party there, you know, from just to briefly mention it, like you know, yeah. just like you start off every year, you start off every morning with your goals and how life can change at the in seconds, like just to Just to say it,
0: that's all, you know. Yeah, and to mark it. All right, Mike, thanks. (laughs) Good to talk to you this morning. Thanks very much, Alison. Thanks very much. Thank you. Another thing that caught my eye in the paper as well this morning, another song has been banned. Just so you know, it's not affecting us so much. It's more the the Welsh rugby fans. So what's happening is uh, a ban has been slapped on Delilah. I'm sure you'll know the song Delilah by Tom Jones. Uh, Tom Jones made it famous. But uh, rugby bosses have now banned choirs and fans from singing the hit before the game. So you know what that means now. Everyone's going to sing it probably louder than before. And you wonder why, Delilah? Well, the reason for it. um, Tom Jones recently said that the, the origins of the song or the meaning behind the song, it's about a lover stabbing his unfaithful partner. Although Tom Jones said it shouldn't be taken literally um, and indeed, actually, its popularity has made him proud to be Welsh. But because of that background and that story to the song, it's now been banned. So that's another one, uh, another one that's been banned. Because of that, we might play it later because we're bound like that. But let us know what you think. Delilah being banned, 083 or 1800 938 007. Now another topic actually that generated a lot of discussion yesterday. We were talking in the office about the housecoat and and Emma of course would be a lot younger than I would and didn't know what a housecoat was. So we had my friend and myself had to explain to her what a housecoat was. And it was at one time I'm sure many of you know was a real staple in the Irish woman's wardrobe and the house coat for for anyone who doesn't know was this kind of apron hybrid that had long sleeves and pockets normally had kind of a flowery design on it and you'd put it on when you got into the house so when you were doing anything you were cooking or cleaning um, you were able to keep your clothes clean and we were saying, God, it's a shame nobody wears it anymore because it's very handy, but has it been replaced maybe by the nightgown? We put it up on our social media and we got a huge reaction to it and Margaret was in touch with us and she joins me now. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Margaret. Do you have a housecoat? I don't. You don't? I have an
7: apron, but I don't have a housecoat.
0: <laughs> I have an apron as well. I wonder, should I invest in a housecoat? I wonder, can you get them anymore?
7: Probably not, although I did see somebody putting up uh, yesterday that Stars and Lena still stock them.
0: That's right, and we kind of looked into that a little bit, and I'm not too sure if they have them anymore. but we will get in contact maybe with Stars and see if they still have them. Do you think they might make a comeback, Margaret?
7: I don't think so, no. no. They were not very flattering. Um, I do remember my mother wearing them. In fact, I think it was her annual Christmas present from us. H- hence the reason she called it her seal of office.
0: Her seal of office. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah.
7: Now, it never went outside the door. Yeah. You know, that was just for inside. When she went up to do the shopping, up to the stall, she used to go to the butcher every day. She certainly would not have gone outside the door with that on her.
0: And that was the whole point of it, though, wasn't it? And Absolutely. If, if you'd hear the doorbell ring, you'd take off the housecoat even before you'd open it. <laughs>
7: well, I don't want to go that far, but <laughs> certainly, certainly you, you would not be going uh, too far with that on
0: and I wonder why and when did it start kind of going out of, of trend? Was it just a generational thing, maybe?
7: Maybe, you know, and maybe, you know, as, as time went on, women were going out to work um, and weren't at home all day, yeah. you know, and um, they weren't housewives and, and cares. And um, so maybe that was maybe the change came then, you know, when, when like it was a full time job for my mother and more, you know, of her yeah. generation, um, like it wouldn't have been thought of to go to work. Uh, so outside the home. Um uh,
0: yeah. A lot of commenters as well saying that uh, the nightgown has kind of replaced it. Would you be a nightgown woman? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. My PJs PJs would be it for you. Yeah. And I wonder, like, do a lot of people uh, just have kind of their house clothes? Like, when you come home from work or wherever you are all day, that you go home and mm-hmm. put on, like, I'd be the same. I have the same old, old, scraggly pair of, of tracksuit bottoms and a gray jumper that's probably a wreck, but that's what I, I wear around the house. Yeah. I assume
7: because leggings are so comfortable. Yeah. And a sweatshirt, pair of slippers, pair runners. You know, everybody, especially if they're in suits or formal clothing during the day. Like, it's very relaxing to come home and get out of that and just get into something more comfortable. And the leggings have been, and the tattoo bottoms have been godsend for that.
0: Oh, a, a listener is saying, my mother used to wear it, uh, but she called it a crossover. It wrapped around fully and tied in front.
7: That was different now. Okay. That was cotton. That was a cotton, uh, small flower print apron. I actually have one. Um, and it just, there, one string went out through a hole at one side. And the other one wrapped around, and you tied it at the back. But that was cotton; it wasn't the, the house were nylon. Okay. And um, but the crossover now would have been older, I say, than the nylon uh, house coats.
0: Okay. And the house coat was—it was essentially a coat and a button down the front. Is that yes? What?
7: And yeah. there were pockets. Yeah, there were pockets in it, and there was long sleeves in it as well.
0: What is it about women? We love a pocket. Oh, absolutely. Love a pocket. It's scarce. nothing like it. Yeah. Well, Mar- I don't know. I'm kind of half tempted to get a house coat now, Margaret. Would you be or, or no? No, I Not have my apron, which has a
7: pocket, I must admit.
0: Yeah, you can um, pocket.
7: And uh, yeah, that's that's mine. Um, so, save the old clothes, you know. So, yeah, the apron is the is the house coat for me.
0: Oh, and another listener saying, I think the washing machine <coughs> was the end of the house coat. That's a good point because uh, we were able to wash clothes a bit more easier. So, it didn't bother us if they got dirty.
7: Well, this is it. And I suppose that was the main reason for the house clothes was to protect, we say, the good clothes. Yeah. Because, you know, it was a lot harder to wash and dry clothes then, you know, than it is now. So I'd say that was one of the main reasons was to protect the good clothes.
0: Yeah, the good clothes. Margaret, it's good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Bye All bye the now. best. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, let us know what you think. Do you think the house coat could make a comeback? A listener says, "I put on my apron when I get home from work. I would not compare a house coat to a nightgown. I would say an apron is my house coat." Thanks for that, listener. Keep those texts coming in. Oh eight three three double one double three double one.
3: Welcome back
0: to Tip Today. We were speaking to Mike about litter on the roadside in Austin, Texas on WhatsApp. He says, why, if we have greens in government, is there not a deposit scheme for cans, cups and plastic bottles? Lithuania have had great success with this. The kids would hoover up the mess on country roads if they thought they'd get a few bob collecting cans, bottles and cups. Uh, great idea. Yeah, I can't see why that wouldn't be brought in. Margaret also says the bottles and cans and takeaway boxes and papers thrown out of cars, vans and lorries on the road is just so awful to see. I've picked it up on the roads, but you get annoyed when the drivers look at you. They would nearly mow you down. That's from Margaret. Keep those texts coming. Oh eight three three double one double three double one now you may remember we spoke to clonmel man andrew last from the city of kiev in ukraine recently he's currently on his way back to the ukraine as part of his humanitarian mission over there to get essential supplies to orphans and civilians affected by the war he joins me now for an update on the line andrew good morning
8: good morning to you how are you
0: i'm good andrew good to talk to you again where are you at the moment
8: at the moment, I'm just in between Cologne and Dortmund, about 50 kilometres from Dortmund. So I managed to make it over um, on the ferry there yesterday and uh, landed in Cherbourg and then disembarked from the ferry. And then it was a long drive then to uh, to Cologne, where I stopped off for the night then.
0: Yeah. So how far away are you now then? How many more days will it take you?
8: I'd say realistically, it's going to be probably I'll get into central Poland there tonight, uh, which will get me within touching distance of the border. So I expect to be in Ukraine, crossing the border on Friday, early Friday morning.
0: And what area are you hoping to uh, to get to?
8: So I have a couple of um, places that I have to go to. I'm, I have to drop off um, a few supplies there to an orphanage and to another volunteer, Ukrainian volunteer, in Lviv. And uh, I'll be doing that. So that will be a quick drop, and then I'll be heading straight to Kiev. Once I get to Kiev, then I will be staying there for about three, four days uh, to, one, rest up, but also to... Um, to meet up with uh, an orphanage and another fantastic lady, Victoria, who uh, looks after up to about forty orphans in the Boyarka area of Kiev, and I wanted to do um, basically give them humanitarian supplies and uh, some medical equipment that will uh, keep them safe. I'll also be teaching them some basic first aid and, and how to apply certain pieces of equipment if uh, the unfortunate event that you know one of them got injured. And once I've kind of that done, then I'll be heading to Kharkiv, which is in eastern Ukraine, and then down to Krematorst, which is very, very close to the front line.
0: Do you think, um, Andrew, I think there's a little bit of compassion fatigue that's set in when it comes to the war in Ukraine. I think we're all very much aware that it's happening. But do you feel like people have kind of lost interest in it in a way?
8: I do. Uh, I I do. I I unfortunately have seen it uh, happening before. It was kind of similar to what happened throughout COVID. You know, everybody was all on board and, you know, we were all trying our best. And then obviously, like you said, the fatigue kicked in. Um, But the realistic, um, uh, the, the, the realism of what's actually happening over in the ground there is that there is, Uh, a terrorist organisation in terms of the Wagner Group, who are basically the muscle behind uh, the Russian Federation. And not only that, the Russian Federation are also acting as a terrorist state, invading uh, a sovereign country. And unfortunately for people back home in Ireland, they don't see what's happening on the ground over. They see what's on the news and they see what's on social media. And the problem with that is you're never going to get the full truth there. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're never going to know exactly what's going on. And like I said with, with Fran earlier, that um, these people, they're, they're losing their homes, they're losing their lives uh, as a result of this. And I'm not you know just talking about soldiers on the ground. I'm talking about women, and I'm talking about children, and I'm talking about elderly people, the most vulnerable people in a society. And these people have a right to... To, to live in, in their homes uh, without fear of, of being attacked. And unfortunately, I have been witnessed or I've seen evidence of war crimes in uh, in the country of Ukraine. So for the people back home, I'm just trying to obviously do my, my part to... Uh, I suppose show what the Irish spirit is all about is that, you know, Irish people in general have always had uh, humanitarian nature to them and that's my role. As a former firefighter and I'm still a current medic, I own a medical training company, I have a certain set of skills that I can use to be useful to help the people who are most affected over there and that's my intention to do so. But unfortunately um, with, you know, a lot of these kind of Facebook groups now and social media things Even myself, I've been the victim of uh, trolls and organized uh, trolls and even had hack attempts on my phone and on my my business systems. And I just, I I really kind of am at my wit's end, really, with uh, the mentality of people back home. Imagine, you know, your kids or imagine your family were taken from your home or killed or you witnessed them being executed. And that's what's happening in Ukraine right now.
0: What kind of things are they saying to you, Andrew?
8: Um, Basically everything and anything. Um, You know, you'll have the pro-Russian trolls. Obviously, they get banned and and blocked immediately. I have a fantastic team of uh, of moderators. Uh, We call the group the besties, as in best friends. And they basically look after and monitor the social media account that uh, I use to uh, to communicate with people back home. Mm. And literally, it could be anything like pro-Russian slogans and things like that. But then we have the Irish element back home then as well. Well, what about our own? And, you know, what about this? And you're a traitor to your country and all this kind of stuff. Most of these people who say these comments they hide behind fake profile pictures, fake names, and none of these people would actually get up off their own backside and actually do a bit of voluntary work themselves. And I've been a volunteer since I'm about seven, eight years of age. I help all sorts of groups back home in Ireland, um, you know, including autism support groups and um, children with um, with uh, with additional needs. I help homeless charities, uh, drugs outreach programs. And I just find it very, very very strange that people back home have this mentality of, you know, well, we have to look after ourselves first. There's an element of truth to that, but now it's becoming very, very toxic on social media. And there's an element of far-right groups now forming in Ireland. And it's actually quite worrying and quite frightening.
0: Yeah. Are you concerned by the speed at which they seem to be gathering support and gathering numbers behind them?
8: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's it is worrying, and these things wouldn't have happened years and years ago. And it's unfortunately, I suppose, look, in a good sense and a bad sense, technology has uh, has its benefits, and it has obviously its, its drawbacks as well. But the reason why these groups get formed so quickly is because of social media is they can basically gather, um, you know, en masse through a, a social media platform and then they can get organised then and start their, their protests. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the, the protests are uh, are quite um, bigoted and, and racist towards and, and other aggressive. people and intolerant.
0: Yeah, very aggressive
8: extremely aggressive and that's that's the worrying part of it is that there's actually no logic or rational um, behaviour to what they're doing and I don't even think they have clear objectives themselves as to what they're trying to achieve
0: Yeah. Andrew, could I ask you as well, I know in the in the early days of this war, we would see daily reports and daily accounts of fatalities in in various parts of the Ukraine. We're not seeing that anymore. And I think people then might be under the wrong assumption that this war is it's just ticking over that, you know, people aren't being killed in the same way as they would have been in the early parts of this war. What's the reality of that, though?
8: The reality is that the war is still very much active now. Ukraine is such a a massive country in terms of the the sheer scale and size of it. The frontline areas now are mainly focused around the east. So anywhere from Kharkiv down to Donbass, Donetsk, Luhansk, down to Mariupol, uh, Melitopol and Kherson. And then you have Sevastopol then, which is also known as Crimea. So these are the frontline areas um, that are very, very uh, active and hot right now. Uh, obviously in the initial stages you had um, the invasion from the, the, the north of the country coming in from Belarus and that's when Kiev was, was say, surrounded. And uh, thankfully the, the Ukrainian army were able to uh, to defend and were able to push them uh, the, the Russian army back out of the country and um, shore up and, and solidify their defences there. But the reality of it is that this war is still very much going on. Um, there are people buried under the rubble in, in Mariupol that, you know, humanitarian groups and organisations uh, and, and even the likes of the UN they, they can, and human rights groups, they cannot even get there at the moment because it is so hot. They reckon that there's, there could be anything up to 100,000 people buried under the rubble as a result of the initial invasion that, that occurred last year. Um, you know, if this isn't evidence of war crimes, I don't know what is. And you only have to look at my TikTok um, um, videos and things like that. You know, most people heard on the news about Dnipro, what happened in Dnipro. Basically, it was a missile that had struck a residential apartment building and uh, literally cut the building in half. And we saw the amazing and Herculean efforts from the emergency services trying to get uh, as many people out of that building as they can. But unfortunately, there was a great loss of life in that. You know, Mm. that was just one event. This is happening in every frontline town, city and village in Ukraine. There was another residential building hit last night in Krematorsk, again, an apartment block and building. I have evidence of um, another residential apartment building with a playground right beside it. When I first saw that, this was an izium, by the way, apologies, but when I first saw that, it appeared that it was two separate buildings, but in actual fact, this was one apartment building that was literally cut in half by a missile. You know, this isn't, um, you, know, um, you know, an accidental thing. These are strategic attacks with uh, guided missiles, essentially, to scare and to shock and to, you know, strike fear into the hearts of Ukrainian people and citizens to try and drive them out of their land and their home. And the, the, the Russian army then will, will proceed with their, uh, with their invasion.
0: Andrew, we're just running out of time. But for anyone, maybe who wants to donate or, you know, donate money or, or whatever it is, what is it you need, and how can they do that?
8: Yeah, so basically, my van is is very very full now at the minute with medical supplies. I, I basically get uh, donations from from all sorts of people. There's some fantastic businesses in Clonmel and in Ferrybank and Waterford. Um, you know, so basically, once I have this supply drop done. All of the donations that have been given there will purchase medical supplies or whatever is needed, and we're going to bring these to the to the frontline villages, basically, because there are still residents and, and civilians inside in these areas who, uh, who who literally have no electricity, no water, no food. There's nobody there to help them. The Ukrainian army are there, but, you know, they have a job to do. They help them as best as they possibly can. So there are still fantastic volunteers out there. Um, people like myself who, who have experience in emergency service life or maybe former military, uh, we're over there as, as humanitarians, as non-combatants, you know, to try and ease the suffering a little bit and to evacuate also people from these frontline areas. So we've set up a kind of a, it's kind of a, what's, what you call a. Fundraiser, I think it's called, uh, kind of like a GoFundMe, and um, you know, any and all donations that go to that will uh, will go to the purchase of essential supplies to to bring to the Ukrainian people.
0: Okay, and that's a GoFundMe page, is it?
8: it it's not exactly GoFundMe, so it's called fundraiser. So I think it's like PayPal's equivalent okay. of GoFundMe, say for example. So that's set up on my social medias
0: on your social media. Perfect. And we might access that as well and share the link if that's okay. Andrew, safe travels. We wish you all the best and stay
3: safe.
8: Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Take care.
3: Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slattery'sgarage.ie. Welcome back
0: to Tip Today. Just to bring you some text we got in relation to the items discussed in the first hour. Our listener says, I'm not sure if your speaker is aware that's Andrew Last, who we were speaking to. He's currently on his way to Ukraine um, with aid and and, and as part of an aid convoy. Uh, Listener says, I'm not sure if he's aware that a vote in Europe by European parliamentarians voted to prolong the war rather than peace talks by 80%. War is ended by peace talks and not by the supply of weapons. All governments around the world are supporting this war. They're not interested in peace. Another listener on WhatsApp says, listening to the fellow talking about the war in Ukraine, um, also about the protests. The protests are not about the genuine Ukrainian refugees. They're about the thousands of unvetted men that this poxy government have left into Ireland. They are not Ukrainians. Another listener says it's the classic media narrative. The protests have nothing against refugees. All refugees are welcome in Ireland. If the government and media listened for a change, they would see the country is being invaded by economic illegal migrants coming to Ireland. For the general social welfare system all unvetted. This has nothing to do with war or persecution. They're coming from the UK and from France. Um, also in relation to the house coat, Brendan says the PJs have replaced the housecoat and aprons with younger women. They even wear them to the shops and the petrol stations for fuel and fu- for fuel and food and bringing children to school. And Rosemary says the apron, I think, has replaced the house coat. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 331 1 or eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. 938 7 Now, the Department of Education has been accused of increasing stress among those sitting leaving cert exams. Students who are going into fifth year this September will sit English and Irish paper one at the end of the school year. Two teaching unions, the ASTI and the TY, say the move is flawed. General Secretary of the TY is Michael Gillespie and he joins me on the line now. Michael, good morning.
9: Good morning Alison.
0: Good to talk to you this morning Michael, thanks for joining us. Could I ask why do you think this move is flawed?
9: Well, first, I suppose, if you look at it, um, the the exam papers are designed for a two-year cycle. Artificially moving moving one paper back to fifth year creates a a, a problem in the syllabus. It's not the way it's designed to be be taught or to be assessed. Also, you're you're building uh, advantage and disadvantage because what what you have is... You, you have uh, students who are coming in from, from transition year. Year,
6: mm. uh,
9: Sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback on the line. Oh, I apologize. Uh, I, I, I don't know why, what, what that is, but I'll, I'll try and keep going. So you've got people coming in from tran- transition year who have had that extra, extra year, but you have 25% of people who don't do trans- transition year. So they're coming in from, from t- third year where they've just done a st- state exam and then they're doing another state exam at the end of fifth year. So that's continuous pressure for that group. They don't have the same preparation. We know already that some schools, schools are going to teach English and Irish during transition year, giving advantage. Someone who comes in won't have that advantage, giving disadvantage. We also have other teachers, teachers telling us that because they have a, a state exam in English and Irish at the end of fifth year, that the likes of maths may suffer because they'll be focusing on the ones yeah. that are going to form part of their high stakes exam. We still have no answer to the question of what happens if someone is wants to change from honours to ordinary level. Yeah. Mo- at, at the moment, students don't. Some people don't change until after they finish the mocks. Now they have to decide in fifth year, and we also know that the students develop intellectually and in maturity at different rates. Mm. So, and, and boys especially are slower than girls. And so we're now bringing exam into fifth year. So we're not against exams in fifth year per se or moving a second components of assessment into exams, but those syllabuses have been designed to do that. We're not taking an old syllabus and trying to, and to panel beat it into something it's not. So, for example, we have new courses like uh, physical education the teachers now support where 70% of the exams are done over the two-year period, and there's only 30% for the terminal. And we fully supported that. So teachers are moving towards to that, but you just can't arbitrarily move an exam to fifth year that was never designed to be there.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you, before we continue, Michael, are you still getting feedback?
9: A little bit, but I keep going.
0: Okay. well, do you know what? What I'll do is I might, Emma, I'll get Emma to call you back on a different line because I want you to be comfortable talking to us. So we'll bring you back in a second. Okay. Okay. thanks, Thanks. Michael. Uh, We'll rejoin Michael on that. He's talking about these changes to the Leaving Cert. Uh, So what it would mean essentially is that students that are going into fifth year this coming September, they will end up sitting their English and Irish paper one at the end of the school year. We'd love to get your views on it. Uh, 0833113311. Or eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. What would that mean for students and do you think maybe is it a good idea that maybe we're spacing it out? We've always looked at this, that we're not putting this pressure on students to perform in the space of of two weeks in June at the end of their leaving cert. But Michael raises some interesting uh, questions and concerns there particularly when it comes to students maybe who want to change from honours to pass or pass to honours. What would that mean for them? Also is it putting an awful lot of pressure because like he said a lot of this curriculum, particularly in English, when you consider that you're You're doing maybe a book and a play. Um, would that all be rushed into one year and how that would work and if that's fair on students? Would love to get your views on it. OE three three double one double three double one. I think Michael is back with us. Are you there, Michael?
9: Alison, yes. Good to talk to you. Is that better? Much much better that's much better. Yeah, I'm not hearing myself. A second later, yeah.
0: Great. Sorry about that. Uh, and just to continue with our conversation, you raised some very interesting points there, and one in particular is the, the one where, what if a student changes their mind and maybe wants to go from honours to pass or pass to honours? Mm. Would you potentially have the situation then where a student is graded in one subject on two different levels?
9: Well, we see. We don't know. We have no. These are questions. If it was, if it was to continue, I, I said there's a huge amount of people now. Both the teacher, post-primary teacher unions are against it. The English and Irish teachers' associations are against it for educational reasons. Even the students' union, uh, the ISSU, has come out and said, you know, it's it's not a solution they, they sought, right, moving an exam entirely into fifth year. So a huge amount of people are against it for lots of different reasons. Um, so we and since it was announced in March, we have no detail of how any of this stuff will be dealt with. Mm. And yet we have students going into it next september you know you know it's not ideal it's creating a lot of anxiety in people and remember the problem is that the leaving cert whether we like it or not is still a high stakes exam it decides a lot of things for a lot of people so we cannot add the stress the students are on as i said the tui has supported second components assessment for years you know the leaving cert i did where everything was a terminal exam is long gone you know as i said there are subjects where you know the music 50% 50% of the uh, of the exam now is a performance. So an awful lot of stuff has moved away from the terminal exams. But those syllabuses were designed by the NCCA to take that into account. So they are designed specifically to reduce stress and to spread the exam a little bit with the second and additional components of assessment. What we're doing now is we're taking something that was designed to be a terminal exam at the end of two years that obviously was going to show differentiation by deciding ordinary level and higher level students who could make their decision, you know, right up until almost the last minute, actually. Uh, we're now going to force them to make decisions in fifth year. And let's say they have a bad day in fifth year, mm. at the end of fifth year. How is that going to make them feel for the rest of the year, yeah. the next year? Where to, and as I said, I know myself, you know, maths was my thing. Will, will I Would I ignore maths in, in my fifth year to concentrate into the two that are part of the exam? So is that going to be... Unintended consequences with other subjects, especially the unintended the, the, the subjects who already have well developed second components of assessment, which you might be working on in fifth year.
0: Another concern I would have, Michael, is that, you know, rightly or wrongly, I would consider English paper one and Irish paper one nearly to be some of the easiest papers that you're going to get in the Leaving Cert. So it's a nice way of easing a student into a very stressful exam scenario or situation for for two weeks. Would you have concerns about that, that you won't have that kind of soft um, guidance and entry into the exams?
10: Well,
9: I suppose the concern there would be that... um, Even though the papers are doable and very doable for students, how well you do on them is is about how your skills in language have developed and certainly your your level of maturity, especially the essay type questions, whatever. So a level of maturity will show through in the essays. So how can you compare, in fairness, someone who maybe has done transition year
6: Mm.
9: at the end of fifth year or at the end of of sixth year with someone who went straight from third year into fifth year yeah. now and the reason they might go straight into fifth year maybe they could be in a school that just can't isn't big enough to offer transition year they may not be able to afford to do transition year, or they may just decide i don't transition year is not for me i want to go straight into fifth year but are they advantaged or disadvantaged i think they're disadvantaged so the system is not designed for that and you're right i mean it, it more than likely is a settling that because it's the one that requires I know people say it's the least one you have to study for. So it does settle you. There is a settling effect in those exams. And once you're up and running, yeah, there's a level of confidence. I've got At least I've got them over you. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that is there. Absolutely. We all remember that from our own time yeah. doing the Leading Search. No, we don't, and we don't wake up with a nightmare about the paper one in, no. in English. Anyway. <laughs> we might wake up about our honours match paper or whatever, but not the paper one in English yet. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Is it just English and Irish so far?
9: No, that's the only two. Um, I, I, they, they, they they couldn't do it to maths because maths develops over a two year program. So maths, there was no way they could change the papers in maths. So it's just English and Irish were the two that were have been proposed by the, the minister and her department uh, last March. But no detail has been given to us. There was no consultation. Now, the TUI welcomed the NCCA report, uh, which, you know, for leaving cert reform, for senior cycle reform. We welcome the fact that LCA and leaving cert applied. Uh, leaving cert applied uh, transition year, we're not going to be ring fenced anymore. The 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 hope or the aspiration that every student would be have an entitlement to do transition year, uh, the fact that maths was going to be available to, to a wider stream of students in different programs. There was an awful lot of stuff in, in in the senior cycle reform that we we welcomed, nearly the whole report, and we we had fed into it over the last previous number of years. However, some of these announcements were made unilaterally, um, without any consultation beforehand. Um, you know and surprise everybody
6: yeah. uh,
9: certainly moving the, the paper to fifth and sixth year and as I said most people are saying they can, they, they don't see a rationale for it if you were redesigning a syllabus and you were going to say yes let's do some part of the exam in fifth year that's that's different but what we're not trying to do now is we're trying to panel beat something that was designed to do something else into an aspiration that really requires a full rewrite of the syllabus or specification
0: Okay. Michael, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Alison. All Thank the you. best. Thank you. That's Michael Gillespie there, who's General Secretary of the TUI. Let us know what you think of that. Two papers facing fifth-year students. I don't think they're aware of that, to be honest. I don't think a lot of fifth-year students know that they'll be sitting two leaving cert exams at the end of fifth year. But let us know what you think. Oh eight three three double one double three double one, or eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Now, an interesting story. Nina Needs Its A and has seen high-level formal written confirmation that the ambulance pathway pilot scheme, established to divert certain appropriate ambulance cases to Ennis, will now be extended to Nina uh, in the next few weeks. Hopefully, that's what they're hoping. The scheme will be further extended to St John's Hospital in Limerick soon after. Tanya Devito is a member of Nina Needs Its A and E campaign, and she joins me on the line. Tanya, good morning. Good morning, Alison. How hopeful can we be? I know when the news uh, came out a couple of weeks ago that Ennis would be open now to, to certain cases for ambulances, that Nina would soon follow suit. How confident are you that that will happen shortly?
11: Yeah, we're, we're delighted with the news and we're very confident um, it will happen after we had a confirmation from Deputy Shortall. Um, so, obviously, resources need to be in place for this scheme to work properly Um, there's no point sending patients over to the medical assessment unit if there isn't enough doctors and nurses and staff to actually care for them but this is a huge step and it's going to mean so much to a lot of people because it means now that people can be treated nearer to their own home it would reduce presentations to the emergency department and UHL And also, it releases ambulances then more quickly that they can go to other emergency calls or or other other calls they need to go on. So it it is very positive. We're very positive.
0: Do we know when it's going to start happening? No, what we've heard is early February, and then it
11: will be rolled out to St. John's. But what we do know is that we had uh, a message from a lady whose relative was actually taken to To the Nina medical assessment unit by ambulance a couple of days ago so it is looking it is looking well it is looking good that's good would yeah. you be
0: confident if we can get it going at all that we can keep it there
11: <laughs> well this is what we're aiming for this is what we're aiming for i think once this actually does happen and it will i have no doubt that it will prove to be successful once resources are in place yeah once resources are in place, like resources were already in place in Ennis before um, the medical assessment unit was open to receiving patients from paramedics, so it's 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 a huge step in the right direction. We need to have a model three, another model three hospital in the region. We don't, mm. we don't, we we just have a model two a a model two in Ennis, and that's 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 what we need. We need. We need, that. we need a perfectly running hospital with an emergency department that can cater for stroke patients, cardiac patients, resource patients. And at the moment, we don't have that. Yeah. And that's, that's what our campaign is all about. That's what we need.
0: And the concern with that is, you know, at the end of this process or the end of this scheme, that if the HSC or whoever turn around and say, "Well, yeah, we look, we we brought it in. He asked for it, and we brought it in, but it's not working." Um, it would be very easy for them to show that it's not working if they're not going to put the resources in their first day. Yeah,
11: yeah. Now we're hoping that as I said already, once the resources are in place, there's no reason why this can't work. Yeah, it's literally. Someone you, you call the ambulance, the ambulance comes to your house or wherever, they then the paramedic then calls the medical assessment unit, has a consultation with the, the physician on duty, doctor on duty, the doctor then decides which route to take. So if they can be treated in Nina and if wherever, rather than going into UHL, then they'll be seen in Nina, brought by ambulance to Nina to the medical assessment unit and appropriate care given to that patient. So it is, it's, it's massive, it's massive and we're absolutely delighted and we're just crossing fingers that this is the start of it now and, and this is this is our hope. So we're, we're, we're trying to stay very positive.
0: Yeah. I assume a patient can't request to be brought to Nina, can no, they?
11: No, 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 you can't. Uh, your referrals are, so you've heard from a GP, referred from Shannon Dock, uh, Letter. you need letters of referral, you can't just, just turn up and um,
0: so, yeah. So it's it, someone else will make that call. You won't be able to make that call. Tenny, no, can I you ask you as well? Uh, there's a story in the front of the Examiner. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of it. Um, the HSE investigating 12 major incident safety incidents in A and departments over the course of the winter. These all in UHL. Yeah. I'm sure that comes as no surprise. I'm sure the no. only surprise is that it's only 12. Well, is it only... true? Yeah. I mean, this it's, it's, it comes as no surprise. We saw
11: what happened in January with the internal emergency. And I think more of these stories, incidents, will come out because people are getting the confidence to talk out. Irish people generally don't like to complain about things and ought to be OK, and I'm all right. But now people can see it's, it's unjust and inhumane. The conditions in the UHL emergency department are scary. And frightening for any patient, and we've seen testimonies from people who've been in there and their experiences. So this is no surprise, and there's probably more to come out.
0: Yeah, and that's the scary thing. Tanya, so great scary. to talk to you. Keep
11: fighting Thank the good you so fight. Much. Thanks, Alison. Tenia. Just before I go, yeah. I'd just like to say a huge thanks to uh, yourself and Fran and Emma in Tip FM. You've been absolutely fantastic, giving us a chance to come on and talk, and we really, really
0: appreciate it. Oh, listen, it's our pleasure. And thank you so much for the work thank that you, you're Alison. doing. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks All so the best. Bye-bye. Keep those texts coming into us. 83 311 or 1800
4: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry
3: In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie
0: Welcome back to Tip Today. Just want to remind you again of our competition that's running this week. We've teamed up with Talbot Fitness in the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel as they launch their Leisure Centre membership sale. Our daily prize is a gift voucher for a month's Leisure Centre membership in the award-winning leisure facilities at the Talbot in Clonmel that will give you access to the gym, sauna, jacuzzi, steam room and swimming pool. So to begin with a chance of winning today just text Talbot followed by your full name and address to 083 311 3311 that's text or whatsapp and you can call them as well to register your interest. 1800 938 007 will announce today's winner just before the end of the show. Now it's time for a GP slot, and as always, delighted to be joined by our Nina based GP, Pat Harold. Hiya, Pat. Hi,
10: Ali. How are you doing? I'm great, I was thinking Good to there, there. wouldn't it be lovely to be sitting in a on or a living pool or something.
0: An a jacuzzi. On a day like today, yeah,
10: looking yeah. out at the rain and taking
0: down. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but instead we're living the dream here, Pat, so we can't Absolutely, complain.
8: Absolutely,
0: yeah. Pat, we're going to talk about this very worrying stroke report that was issued this week and the number of stroke admissions rose by 23%. That's in the nine-year period between 2013 and 2021 and also worryingly an increase in the proportion of patients under the age of 64.
2: Yeah, um, I saw actually
10: on television every now and again they run an awareness campaign about stroke and the the things you look out for and everything. Um, Most strokes are preventable, you know, and um, not one in most five you get what's called a TIA, a transient ischemic attack before it. And it's it's a kind of a warning system. So I I just tell you some of the things you look out for, but first and foremost is is not to be getting a stroke. And a stroke is a kind of an insult to the brain, which means to blood supply is is deranged. So it's either a clot or a hemorrhage. Now, if it's a hemorrhage, you can get a sudden headache. And if it's a clot, it, it just starves the brain. And you've got, um, usually that will happen because you've either got high blood pressure or you're in a regular heart So, you know, we're always talking about atrial fibrillation and checking the pulse and make mm. sure that the, the thing going well. Or if you have high blood pressure and you're walking around with high blood pressure, it's, it's sort of pressure on the vessels in the brain and they might just go pop and then you get a smoke. So um, that they're the the things you really look out for. And of course, smoking clogs up the arteries as well. And untreated diabetes. If you have you're walking around with diabetes and you don't know it, or if you have very high cholesterol. So these are all the lifestyle things, you know. So if you get to 40 and you don't know what your blood sugar is and what your cholesterol is and what your blood pressure is, Um, you you really do need to do something about it. You know, there's a lot of them television programs going at the moment where people are reckoning for health checks and things like that. So um and, and you know, I think those programs are kind of worth watching myself. You know, there's a lot of very good advice in them.
0: Mm. Can I ask you, Pad, do you know the way um most people now have a smart watch? And in a smartwatch, with most of them anyway, you can um it'll read your heartbeat. Is is that a good indicator? Should we be using those more or are they unreliable?
10: they're that a yes and a no there on that one. You know, um, they can pick up um, in a regular heartbeat some of the higher-end ones and alert it. Now, um, how reliable they are, I just off the top of my head couldn't tell you. I don't know. Um, I know, but they can cause a lot of anxiety as well because yeah. people are constantly checking them as well. So I think you want to have um, your feet fairly on the ground to know. You know, I mean, a, a very easy thing is to rock into your um, chemist and they often have a machine there for an, for a euro or two. You can check your your blood pressure, um, your your weight and your heart rate. You know, it'll tell you if it's irregular. regular. And um, so, so that could be useful. Yeah. But I do think actually a smartwatch would probably tell you if it was off the scale, a tip or something like that. But um, I do know people get into the habit of checking and checking and checking, br- checking. And, and I and
0: mine on one day and it went up to 220. And I said, but sure, if it was 220, I'd be dead.
10: Jesus, what were you doing? I didn't know. <laughs>
0: And then I got panicked over it, and it got worse than all the So sometimes they're a scourge.
10: Yeah, I had something now, which wasn't quite that level, but, um, oh, geez, I couldn't live with You know, it was just not, um, it was just not, not the thing for me at all. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, look, I mean, some people, like maybe, you know, you'd want to do your research if you're getting something like that. Mm. Um, well, i tell you, though, about the things you look out for in a stroke. Yeah. Do. And, and, and the real take-home message for this is the, they say it's a thing called FAST, F A S T, and it's the FAST guide. So if you get facial weakness, you know, the mouth drooping, anything like that, arm weakness, can't lift your arm. If the speech changes, if they can't speak at all, or it gets slurry or something like that, you mightn't even see this. And the whole and the other thing that's S-A-S-T based um, speech, and that's fine because it's absolutely crucial you get immediate treatment. Mm. And because most of them are caught in the brain, and you've got four point five hours to do something about it and reverse it. So, um, so Andy, the thing is, I got even at this stage you see people you know this happened to them on a Friday or something and they're coming into you on a Monday morning and it's too late. So and and I know that our casualty departments have been um, nuts
0: the last few yeah, weeks. And, well, and the, the state- report did highlight that. I mean what really does impact on the outcome um, for someone who's suffering from a stroke is being able to get to a hospital and get treated as quickly as possible. But in the age we're living in now where it's people are finding it almost impossible to get into a hospital, that in itself is having an impact on that recovery for people. How worried are you about that?
10: Well, the thing is, just as a message to hit the road, don't be hanging on, don't wait. Um, either have a driver and bring you straight to the nearest casualty and let them know a stroke is suspected or else. And, um, you know, if we think there's a stroke, there's no hanging about yeah. whatsoever and um i i i don't think that the most congested ca- um casualty department would let you actually um be sitting in the corridor if this, if the stroke was suspected you'd be a set place like Okay. So, you know, don't worry about that you'll be sick in casualty for two days or something like that. No, you're probably, you are probably can for a lot of conditions, but for a stroke they won't. They'll fast track you straight into the nearest dedicated unit and get it and this can be absolutely life saving. But it's not even so much life-saving as much life saving as a stroke is um, as an awful effect on a person. You know. Mm. It's um it's very hard and, and you know, they can look fine, the symptoms are resolved. But it's it is an insult to the brain and it's 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 do joke, really, really. You know, so it's um it's not the most cheerful topic this morning but no. but, the, but the thing is hit the road you know if you can half think about it
0: Yeah so speed is, is the critical issue with this. Uh, we're going to talk about antibiotic resistance as well um, I know you're going to have a lot of people maybe who are always on antibiotics and because of that their immunity to some illnesses will be lowered but how yeah. much of a problem is antibiotic resistance?
10: Oh it's absolutely huge um, Now I'm just amazed See, there was an antibiotic. They're looking at a new antibiotic, which of course is plant, plant based. You know, everything good comes from nature. You can rely on that. Now, there hasn't been a a new antibiotic since I started working. 35 years ago, I think the last one was like 1984, something like that was, I mean, when you think about it, that's how long it's been since we got wow. any kind of a new antibiotic. And as we know from COVID, bugs change, they shift, they shape change, they breed with each other, they, they're they elusive. It's a constant thing. And there's some um, some antibiotics just resistant to everything. Um, antibiotics don't work in a virus. If you've got a head cold or COVID or anything like that, um, that's a virus. It's It's pointless taking an antibiotic. But it's it's a real problem. I mean, every three months I get a report on my antibiotic prescribing from the HSE. You know, and there's recommended ones for different conditions. And you know, people often say to me, "Oh, such a thing doesn't work in me. It's not supposed to work in you. It's supposed to work in the bugs." But um, so there's kind of good news. But 75% of the antibiotics prescribed while I'm trying to mind it are done um, by farmers, and that's. And, um, you know, I'm sure you saw those poor little chickens in the news, you know, um, all bundled together. Like, they're completely stressed. And if an animal is stressed like that, or indeed a person, they're completely susceptible to infections. So they're getting, you know, most um, animals and big batteries and locked up and things are drenched with chemicals and antibiotics and all kinds of things. And that's a huge driver of antibiotic resistance. So um, just... uh, just a bit of a symmetry there now when you see the poor little chickens on the news and then you hear there's a new antibiotic coming. So hopefully it will be the thing. But the thing is, if 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 the creature isn't stressed, they won't be getting these things. And if people are, you know, can keep themselves healthy and get plenty of sunlight and exercise and don't poison themselves. Hopefully they won't be needing antibiotics either. You know, it should be a very rare occasion that you need an antibiotic. Really.
0: Yeah. Is that available at the moment or is it yet to... No, it's still
10: still in production. It's going to a test. So it's looking promising. But antibiotics, another thing about them is if you take them, they kind of have a big effect on your bionome, which are the bugs living in your tummy, which are supposed to be there. You know, you can't be healthy without them. But it kills off a load of them. So that has an an impact on your health. So you do really want to think twice before um, you go reaching for antibiotics. Yeah. To be honest. And that's why that's why um it's it doctors and chemists are have really have kind of the stewardship of it. And I'm afraid people develop bad habits during COVID, you know, because we literally couldn't people couldn't come into us and we couldn't get out to them and um, you take a history over a phone and you kinda of think okay and you'd send down antibiotics and you before that you shouldn't. But, you know, we were kind of it was kind of a war footing, so that's mm-hmm. what we were doing. But um we really shouldn't be doing that now, you know. Do if you, if, do you, if think, you think you please need that, got You need look at... away from it now. Oh, we always, we
0: never were moving towards
10: throwing them out anyway. But um, we're absolutely trying to to not to do it as much down the phone or without seeing the person if you can. Now we're trying. Kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's actually getting a little better. You know, this week is better than the last few weeks from Christmas on. It was absolutely, you know, firefighting the whole time. I think, but yeah, I think there's a bit, an, a bit of a turn of.
0: That's good to hear. Pat, great to talk to you as always. Okay, take best. care, Addy. Thanks. Bye That's our uh, GP, our Nina based GP, Dr. Pat Harold.
4: If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1 800 007 tip fm's tip today with fran
3: curry in association with slattery's of pecan tipperary's main peugeot dealer slattery's garage pecan the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county SlatteriesGarage.ie. welcome back to tip today it's time to talk
0: farming now and amy ford deputy news editor of the irish farmers journal joins me now amy good morning Good morning, Harriet. I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning, Amy. Uh, a lot of great stories to get through this week. The first one, of course, will be good news uh, to beef farmers. Good prices at the spring march so far being driven by Chinese demand.
12: Yeah, that's right. So, uh, the front page of this week's journal is, you know, trade sizzling, and it is uh, it's off to a flying start. Adam Woods has the story this week. Um, So, the the good prices in March at the minute, you know, there's heavy flesh cows soaring to three euro a kilo, and that's on the back of a combination of low supplies of finished cattle, increased demand for manufacturing beef, earlier than expected Chinese demand, and a solid export trade. So, um, some listeners might be familiar that the Chinese market shut down to Irish beef exports uh, a couple of years ago, and it reopened Opened, um there a couple of months ago. So it's really positive um, in terms of putting, to giving another factor to the trade and with, with buyers um, or demand from buyers for more cattle to, to fill um, buying for that market, essentially. Yeah. Does it look set to continue? It does look set to continue. Um, look, at this minute in time... Um, there's, there's market manager saying, Donegal Gallmart manager saying that uh, she's never seen Anton like it at the minute, that the trade is electric. Um, there's also new, a number of new live exporters that are active around market rings um has been drive-up prices, is up to €4 euro a kilo being paid for three to 400 kg bull wainlands for export this week. Um, so look, it does look set to continue, as Adam Rud- Woods writes this week. Uh, the beef trade shows no signs of easing, so it's, it's a very positive start to the year.
0: That's excellent news. Uh, my favourite story of the week now is the next one, and this is the poor Al Ram who is a bit of a dud. Tell us about this. He's, he's a bit shy, so obviously <laughs> there's there's legal letters um, going back and forward here.
12: So I'll I'll say what I can, but. Yeah. A farmer basically who paid top price for a pedigree Chevy's ram, he's allegedly been left at a loss after the animal uh, apparently refuses to serve any of his eos. Um The farmer who wished to remain anonymous obviously for legal reasons, he he bought the ram last year and let him in with a batch of eos and in the two months between the time between he bought the, the ram and, and breeding with the yows, he said the ram was kept to a smaller number of other rams, getting well fed, there was no fighting and all the Yo's had been with Teaser Rams for two weeks prior. Um, Once that ram went in with the small group of yoes, he was obviously rattled um, and several other groups. Um, You know, there was plenty of activity, but this ram, apparently not a single Yo was marked by the new ram, and he was found to be away from them, grazing and disinterested. So um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes.
0: But... um, yeah, just an interesting story about a shy ram. Yeah, it's a great story. Uh, another one then, the Netherlands proposing a ban on live exports. Why so?
12: Yeah, this is at European level, so it's kind of a while away, or, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on it, so it's, it's, it's not coming anytime soon. But live exports are back in the spotlight at the latest meeting of the EU and Agriculture Fishery Ministers. So they gathered for their first meeting of the year. This week, and that's under a new presiden- presidency, Swedish presidency. And on the agenda was um, a discussion of the paper on the revision of proposed animal transport legislation. So essentially, this is a discussion on. Um, live exports and movement of animals, especially calves. Um, so 10 member states, including Ireland, outlined their opposition to an outright ban on the transport of animals um, from the EU to third countries. So, for example, uh, Irish cattle going to Libya, for, for argument's sake, um, they outlined the important role that live exports play in many countries, and many countries acknowledge acknowledges that while changes are needed and out ban is not necessary, and uh, the Netherlands has put forward an argument in favour of an outright ban, and that's that's what they're thinking. And interestingly, Germany, Australia, Denmark, and Luxembourg—they've they've also agreed with the Netherlands stance. So, it's one we'll be monitoring.
0: Yeah, it's a surprising stance from those countries, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be. I suppose. Look, though, there is. Um,
12: if, some some of these things can be political as well, and you can see why Ireland and other countries would still be in favour of it. Um, like, you know, a lot of our calves go to the Netherlands or Spain um, for further finishing in terms of the calves. Um, so you can see that they'd still be in favour of it um, but and Ireland obviously is an island nation and um, live exports um, do make up a good chunk of our trade.
0: Yeah, the next story now, I know still a lot of concern over the salmonella outbreak. Um, eight farms I think so far. What's the latest on it?
12: Yeah, so we we checked for an update with the department before the paper this week. So um, they're saying that the investigation is still ongoing. There's no new news essentially on it. But eight farms have tested positive for salmonella. Eight poultry farms, and they're they're broiler flocks. So their broilers are are birds that are basically bred and fed for uh, meat production. So they're you know chicken, mm. uh, not eggs. Um, the famine was found on all eight of the farms, um, all of the flocks have been restricted, the birds are being humanely culled and they will not enter the food chain. Um, as regards their location, the department said there are um, a number of different locations um, and the Food Safety Authority of Ireland said that there's been no human cases of illness linked to the investigation so far. Um, so that's the latest on that one I suppose there was it was linked to a recall of raw chicken from Western Brand uh, last week. That was from the Food Safety Authority of Ireland. They are linked, and um, that's that's where the FSAI is saying this on-farm issue has. Um, basically, once the Western Western Brand recall was out there, it was in checked on the farms, and then the farms tested
0: positive. Yeah, and hopefully it's been contained anyway. We'll, we'll watch it uh, as it goes on. Now, the next story then, a surge in demand. Uh, good news, I suppose, for tillage farmers. Double gluten-free oat production.
12: Yeah, so Tirlan, that, that's the co-op that was formerly Glambia, it's, it's almost doubled the production of its gluten-free oats this year, uh, bringing levels to an area of around 5,000 uh, acres, our tillage Siobhan Walsh reports this week, um, the co-op's on the hunt basically for growers for the coming season, um, its grain manager Donald Maloney, he said that gluten-free oats are now being are now being grown from South Tip to North Dublin and me down to Wexford, um, the logistics of getting them, them cut is not simple, so obviously because they're gluten-free, that if that's contaminated with uh, normal oats, if you get me, uh, okay. they're not gluten-free. So Tierlon harvests all their crops with gluten-free combines and transports them in gluten-free trailers, um, and that's that's a big saving for farmers on that front. Um, Donald's saying that from a crop returns point of view, gluten-free oats are comparable to high-yielding crops of winter wheat. and um, and so Siobhan writes this week that the the past few months have been difficult for planting winter crops, mm. and so the area of winter oats is down. But then that brings an opportunity as land which wasn't planted into winter wheat after break crop may come available. So look, it's great to see good demand um, from a tillage farmer point of view. You know, a lot of us eat porridge for our breakfast, um, whether whether it's gluten free oats or not. But um, you know, it's great to see you know oat flour and oat based ingredients used in food production, and it is a positive um, story and. Uh, apparently much of the demand is coming from customers in the US, so generally very positive.
0: Absolutely, I know it's been a tough couple of years as well for tillage farmers Uh, for for the dairy sector then, even though it's a great time and prices are great, it's a struggle to get workers for the sector Yeah, this is
12: something that's been I suppose nearly a constant uh, depending on what year in, if you get me. So 30 years ago, there would have been a similar labour shortage, and it's something that comes up again. The Department of Enterprise has slots for work permits, so workers from non-EU countries uh, that can come into Ireland, that have basic farm experience, um, and that are well able to work, they're they're brought in um, to help stop the gap, I suppose, in one way, because there is a shortage. And you know, when we all know that when the economy is doing well, um there is there can be a shortage of workers in, in certain sectors and farming mm-hmm. falls into that. Um but while dairy farm incomes, as you said there have never been as strong, um there are dark clouds on the horizon. There's tighter rules around nitrates, climate policy, and then land leasing costs, they're threatening to cut into record profits delivered in twenty two. But as Kavan has kicked off Same concerns are going to take a back seat to the issue of labour supply. There is such a shortage of workers at the minute in the sector. and, you know, it's it's difficult to source people to mm-hmm. rear calves, to milk cows and to so on. And it's this time of year where that labour shortage really bites.
0: Absolutely. And it tends to be maybe young lads who are coming up who maybe have a family farm. You wouldn't ever see young lads who don't have any background in farming or don't have the family farm coming into it. And now I, the industry is kind of paying the price for that now, I think, aren't they? Yeah, in one way I will
12: say young young lads and young girls as well, there's a there's yep, a lot of, um, right. yep. there's a lot of studying in, in U C D and and you know, studying ag cor- courses across the country um, that aren't from farming backgrounds at all and they often go on uh to, you know, be farm managers or so on. Like there is definitely opportunity there. Anyone that likes working with animals and so on, um, like there there's plenty of opportunity there, I suppose just the the um the supply side isn't there, there is demand for the workers but the, just the amount of them aren't there if there's other jobs that are going that they prefer to do. So it'll be interesting to see where it does go and if there will be any movement like I know that there's um, uh, farm apprenticeship programmes coming up with Chagas so it'll be interesting to see applications to that and if there'll be increased uh of courses on this front to, to stop this gap in future years so we're not coming around to every December,
0: January and, mm. and people wondering where labour is Yeah, hopefully. Amy, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for chatting to us. Thanks very much. All the best. Thanks, Amy. That's Amy Ford, their deputy news
3: editor of the Farmers' Journal. Available now.
4: Tip today with
3: Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slattery'sgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final
0: hour of Thursday's Tip Today. A reminder of our competition this week we're teaming up with Talbot Fitness at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel as they launch their. Leisure Centre membership sale. Our daily prize all this week is a gift voucher for a month's leisure centre membership in the award-winning leisure facilities at the Talbot in Clonmel. It'll give you access to the gym, sauna, jacuzzi, steam room and swimming pool. I'll be announcing today's winner just before 12 o'clock today. So to be in with a chance of winning, send Talbot, followed by your full name and address to text or WhatsApp 083 311 3311. Or you can register your interest with Emma on 1800 9 three eight Now the Banshees of Inishir and I know it's been getting a lot of coverage over the past few weeks and especially after its its huge success at the Oscar nominations, receiving nine nominations in total. But it's an article in the Irish Mail today by Brendan O'Neill, which has got everyone talking about it again. And it's under the headline, Why are the woke Oscars lauding a movie that depicts the Irish as dim-witted Egypts?" Now, in the article, Brendan O'Neill says it's as if someone fed every single cartoonish Irish stereotype into a website and said write a film about Ireland in the 1920s. He goes on to say that one of the few critics of the film, Irish writer Luke Dunn, has slammed Martin McDonough for his hand-wringing over us poor, useless creatures. He says every snobby prejudice about the terrible characters you find in every Irish village pops up in this movie. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've seen it, I know it's a bit of a Marmite movie. You either love it or you hate it. Personally, I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful movie, really well acted. Um. I didn't get that vibe off it that we were all being portrayed as idiots and drunks. But let me know what you think. 083 three three double one now for this week's Health Slot, Fran took a trip down to Morito 8020 with Muriel to speak to someone who was getting a procedure done, just to see for himself how the process worked. To begin, he got the Royal Tour.
13: Well, Muriel, I'm here at last. It's gorgeous.
0: Hi, Fran. How are you? Welcome gorgeous. to, yes, yeah. our beautiful
14: Morito. Yeah. After all the work and all the different bits and pieces, it just feels like, I don't know unreal that we're actually standing here. And it's
13: gorgeous to come in here. It's, it feels lovely and comfortable and welcoming. I mean, obviously the colours are part of that. Everything's part of that.
14: Everything it? was taken into account. We wanted to build something. I saw somewhere that we wanted to be, that we skipped into work every day, yeah. but we also wanted to get the feedback from the clients that when they came in here that they felt that they could relax, they felt the hour that they were cared for and they got what they needed from it. So to get that feeling when you opened the door is really important to us. So I'm delighted yeah. that you actually got that as well. Uh,
13: for sure that I do. Um, are people nervous when they come in?
14: Um, on the phone you get a lot of questions, yeah. not on the outside. On the health side, they come in and they're just blown away by the fact that we're going to get from you what we don't get from our GP. They're looked after from the minute they come in with a cup of tea and especially people that are a little bit older, like they're amazed they can have a cup of tea and a biscuit or whatever. Yeah. On the aesthetic side, that's a little bit different. People are a little bit nervous, especially if they've never done it before. And I suppose very worried about the fact that will somebody see me, uh, things like that, you know. So again, it's really important to us that we have this private yard and the clinic is totally private, you know, it's, it's, it's one in, one out. And you'll see in a minute as we walk up the stairs we actually have two reception areas so we have somebody in the downstairs reception somebody in the upstairs reception but they won't ever meet if okay,
13: at all so possible privacy is all important obviously absolutely yeah.
14: number one and you know what Irish people are like I do. Um, yeah. If we are in America <laughs> or somewhere like that, people mightn't Yeah, yeah. sit sitting, and sitting beside each other and this is all very, whatever, yes. um, easy in that. But, but
13: eventually it will become the norm, won't uh,
14: it? Well, I think it's the norm for younger people. Yeah. Like any of the younger people that come in, they want to chat, mm. they want to see what's happening, they want to see who's here, they want people to see him, literally. Okay. Yeah. But for that, I suppose, 35 plus, it's not the norm. Mm. Will it become the norm for that age group? I don't know. I think it'll become the norm to get treatments done. Mm. But will it become the norm that you tell people that you've had treatments done? Okay. We're Irish. I don't know will people go that far we'll oh, see right.
13: what are we going to do today what am i going to see today
14: okay so we've um a new client in mm. her name is trish mm. okay she has never had anything done before she's 40 uh she's constantly she'll tell you herself explain what she's looking at in the mirror and why she wants to get a treatment done so she's your typical nervous person that's in for the first time um she's with the doctor so we'll go and have a chat with her, i think will we
13: let's do that We're going upstairs at the mount Again, it's just gorgeous. It looks beautiful, doesn't it?
14: Um, It's funny, when we put this in, when the builders were in here, we used to be singing on the stairs, literally, Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) Do you know the song Stairway to Heaven? Um, And we still think the same, because literally, when you come in here, if you get something done, you go back out the door smiling. It's beautiful stairs, but Fran, there's actually, look down, it's actually 20 steps. We do this like 50 million times a day. I'm trying um, to
13: pretend I'm not out of breath. (laughs) I
14: I know, I know. But yeah, so we do that a lot. Uh, Hmm. Behind you there, if you can just see, it's a powder room. No clinic has this, guys, so if anybody's listening you know, to room, it's a powder room, so you can actually come in and uh, put your face back <laughs> on again. <laughs> so um, sort of makeup room. makeup room, yeah. It's so great, I know you, you're on radio, but um, I'm sure you were a little of oh, something in odd times. So just a little. I'll keep so, uh, yes. it to myself. We'd, yeah, yeah. So you know the powder room, which is great. So this is the second reception area, and we have three treatment rooms. So this would be my room here, sorry. just Look in. So this is a specialist wow. weight management clinic. Yes. Okay. So body analysis machine there in the corner. Um, all your bloods, all of that kind of thing, and then the lovely seats or whatever that we can just come but in.
13: Oh, it's so stylish,
14: isn't it? isn't Mm. it, yeah. It's supposed to be relaxing and I think it is. I think Mm. the minute you even open the door and uh, we've all the beautiful smells and the music and all the bits and pieces, yeah, so very important again that it was comfortable and relaxing and all the bits and pieces, so just if you look up even, like we have three different types of lighting in every single room Mm -hmm. um, and that's just for the ambience and the aesthetic side, of course, everybody wants to look well, so uh, all of that is really important, yeah.
13: Trish, why are you here?
15: Well I'd like to look fresh and not tired for my age so I'm 45 now and um, some mornings I get up and I take a look in the mirror and I'm just not looking as fresh as I would like to look. So, Well you look lovely to me but what
13: is it that you're seeing in the in the mirror?
15: So over time we get wrinkles mm. and I'm here hoping that Dr. Juan will help those wrinkles to look a little bit uh, less uh, in the mirror when I um look at myself in the morning and that when I go to apply my makeup that I feel better. So really it's for the feel-good factor is what I'm looking for. Did you
13: have to think very carefully about this or is this something you wanted to
15: do? Oh, I would think very carefully about who I would go to and um, I would like to have a relationship with the um, doctor who would um, administer the wrinkle relaxing Mm. uh, or Botox. And um, yeah, definitely having a relationship is very important. So um, when Muriel was opening um Moretto um I certainly said I would like to come in and meet with Dr Wan and chat about what would be possible for me
13: Very good have you had anything done in the past
15: um, yes I have had well, Botox Can you tell before. me about that Um so it's very painless pain free um in, injection Yes yeah. or right. injections
13: And yeah. was it everything you thought it might be
15: yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. You're, I'm not, not uh, going to turn back time, but right. it will certainly help me feel a little bit fresher and more, less tired. Right.
13: So yeah. you're looking forward to this?
15: Yes, of course. Okay, Of
13: course. Dr. Wan is with me now. Um, it's lovely to see you again. Um, tell me, what should
16: Trish be expecting to happen? So basically, uh, in aesthetic medicine, we have different treatments for, for uh, different problems. When patient is coming because they feel the tile, or they need uh, to get a fresh look. We have to understand that uh, they don't want the lines or they want to remove some lines, mm. some wrinkles in the face. So our main approach is to evaluate all the different aspects in the medicine. We have to looking for what is the cosmetic routine, what kind of product to use, uh, what kind of treatment she t- took before and then to do a proper evaluation because mm. uh, we have obviously anti wrinkle injections but we have also products for improve the quality of the dermis, um, improve the volumes, uh, improve the, the elastin, the, the collagen so it's not just one thing.
13: Do you look at a medical history, for example, doctor?
16: Of course, it's so important yeah. to to know uh, the background of the patient, uh, the medical um, the medical uh, thing, the medication that uh, she she's taking, or the the background in surgery, or all this kind of the global his, clinical medical history. Yeah,
13: do you have to speak to people about? what they think is going to be the result.
16: Of course, expectations is one of the key Mm. in in all this industry, Mm. in all this business. The expectations is uh, how to evaluate what is the final result, what the patient is expecting about the treatment and how we can get something similar to Mm. these results. We have to be honest because uh, Obviously, we have some limits. This is not a miracle, mm-hmm. but uh, obviously, um, we have uh, we can get different results. And this is in, in in each scenario, we have to explain everything that you can get it with these treatments.
13: we we're here in the treatment room is that what you called it?
14: That's exactly it so this is our aesthetic treatment room so we've mm-hmm. t- three rooms this is one of the three rooms. We're in the upstairs in the old building that would have been Fieldmaster for anyone that's that knows Clonmel and mm-hmm. knows Parnell Street or whatever so this is completely transformed this was actually a living area um, 12 months ago so it's beautiful to be here. The room is very clinical okay mm-hmm. so this is a medical space mm-hmm. medical beds, bonus in his scrubs, mm-hmm. gloves on, Tricia has signed the um, consent form, mm-hmm. uh, done all the medical background etc so the bed you can see the room here like with the beds and all the bits and pieces it's medical okay it has to be medical inga is a beautiful assistant so she's swan's aesthetic assistant she Mm -hmm. preps everything for him so Mm,
13: very good let me just go over to trish you're looking very relaxed there
15: i sure am i'm (laughs) in very good hands here Uh, it's very professional here and i'm very well looked after yes Mm, i feel very confident
13: you've signed your form
15: i have indeed i signed the consent form there to have the injections done. I'm very, am very satisfied, Fran, because we actually had a chat about what the outcome could be after these wrinkle injections. So I'm, I know what to expect.
16: All right. Okay. Doctor Wan, what is going to happen now? Uh, I feel that the most important, the most important thing is before the treatment, obviously to have a relation, to build, to have time for to build the relationship with the patient, and uh, to express the confidence. To express the knowledge and to express how comfortable is going to be the treatment. So, we're going to work in different areas. This is a very quick treatment, mm-hmm. Okay, basically. We're going to relax or paralyze. We can use different techniques, it depends on the result that we're looking for. And we're looking for, for to work in the lines in the front area. Yes. in the frontalis muscle and the orbicularis so that's the
13: forehead and the cheeks here yeah?
16: well foreheads yeah. the frontalis muscle is one of the most important muscles um, in the face because the purpose of this muscle is to pull up the eyebrows at the rest of the front area okay so we're going to try to relax this muscle and when you relax this muscle the upper layers in the, the dermis the epidermis and going to be relaxed, that's why they're going to smooth
13: the lines there. Right, now you you, you proceeded with an injection there, but, but Trish hardly flinched with that. Uh, did you feel anything uh, at that point?
15: Nothing. Okay, no. Nope. Right.
16: Yeah, usually the, the front area is a very, very comfortable area. Yes. Okay. Uh, there is some tricks for avoid the pain, okay. One of them, for example, is to apply some cold. After the injections, okay, we're going to put some cold thing.
13: Okay. This is like a cold compress of some sort, is yes. it? Yes.
16: And the, the patient can feel automatically pain relief. Yes. That's one of the tricks, you know? Obviously, it's important uh, how you inject okay. the deep, the, the superficial, and in which plane, because we're looking for the muscle, for relax the muscle. Okay, so. And uh,
13: just to point out to people that when we talk about uh, an injection here, it's a very tiny needle, isn't it? It's very, of course, it has yes. to be
16: very, very, very tiny. Mm-hmm. Very tiny. Uh, you know, the thing is that this uh, drug, the drug that we use for this treatment, is a very powerful drug. So we have to ve- be very precise and to know how amount of product we have to use and which area we have to put it. This is the most important thing with this kind of yes. treatment.
13: Does it concern you that some unqualified people are doing this?
16: Yeah, the thing is that um, in the market, actually, there is too many places and too many people without the qualification and without the knowledge, and they, they do all, everything. Uh, this is a good thing and a bad thing. Mm. It's a bad thing because obviously the, the, it's not safe at all for the patient, but it's a good thing because at the end, when the patient has a problem, they're looking for someone for to fix it right and at the end they learn in a hard way that they have to go to someone else with the correct qualification okay so what next well the next actually we work in the corrug- corrugator muscle and now we're going to work in the proper frontalis mm-hmm. okay so basically we're going to inject in different points
13: Okay, so again, this is all over the forehead, right up to the hairline. Isn't yes, it? yes,
16: of course. Mm. And we have to maintain the same distance in each point because the Botox effect usually is a one centimeter around the injection point. Yes. So we have to know perfectly where we're going to inject and to preserve the distance between points.
13: So you've made those injections at this point, then, Doctor Juan? Yes. Yes.
16: We was working in the frontalis, properly mm-hmm. frontalis, okay. for relax the frontalis.
13: But that, again, that's the forehead. That's yes, in the yes. forehead.
16: Okay. It's important to work these areas together, the frontalis area, so the corrugators and the frontalis muscle together, mm-hmm. because they play all the time for to keep the balance in the face. Okay. So for to maintain the correct level. Of the eyebrow is important to work in both teams of muscle.
13: Okay, Trish, how are you doing?
15: Doing fine.
13: Doing fine, still yeah. relaxed?
15: It's totally relaxed.
13: Okay, very
16: good indeed. Perfect, so we're going to work now in the orbicularis orbicularis muscle. Okay? okay, this muscle. Where is that? The crows feet. Okay. So basically this is a sphincterian muscle that we use for to close and open the eyes.
13: Okay, so this is around the eye? Yes.
16: So basically, we're going to inject a tiny bit and move on these okay. points. Again,
13: Trish is not even flinching with that, so it's not... She's a really good yeah. patient. She is, she just Amazing. Yeah.
16: Perfect, Trish. And now, this are the same thing. So what is the possibility of a complication of the treatment? Hmm. Basically, you can get a small bruising small bruising. That's why it's so important to avoid, um, to do exercise during 24 hours, uh, to have a hot shower or to drink alcohol. Um, Many, many times I heard that people, the doctors say that because patients think that the product can be great in other areas, but this is not correct. The thing is that the problem is if you have a small bruising because you can't see the artery properly. You can convert the small bruising in a big bruising. Okay. That's why we have to avoid all these kind of things.
13: Right, very good.
16: Are you finished
13: the procedure now? Yeah,
16: we finished. It. Now we're going to do a lovely nice uh, massage with the cream that we have. Mm-hmm. A specific cream with clorexidine, aloe vera, and arnica. Okay. So uh, this is is this medicated in some way? He said, it, well, it's for avoid the yeah. the minimal risk of infection, okay. you know? So how soon will Trish notice a difference? Usually between 7-10 days, mm. she can start to feel the result, the final result. Uh, always uh, it's mandatory the the review in 15 days, 14-15 days after, after the treatment, because you never know, every person is different, mm. so sometimes... If one part of the frontalis is a little bit more stronger than the other side, you have to add a tiny bit more Botox, or or uh, or maybe to add more Botox in another areas for to get the similar results in both areas in the yes. face. So that's why the review is so important. So after fourteen, fifteen days, the patients come back, and we can see again our guests and to do the proper. So Trish, how does it make you
13: feel at this stage? Yeah.
15: Oh, I feel very happy I'm ready to go and take on the rest of the day. It's like a little lunchtime tweakment that I've had done. I'm delighted that Dr. Wan um, put on the arnica or the cream that he mentioned there earlier because mm. that that's not on well, something that I've had done before. So it's um, wonderful to get that ready to, go back, ready to, to work. go back to work.
13: And you could literally go back to work, yeah. could
15: you? Yes, that's the plan. <laughs>
13: Trish, you were saying that there's some aspect of this that is very important to you. What is that?
15: Well, What's very important for me is that I could access this service in Clonmel with a medical doctor and that it's someone who's qualified to to actually dis- administer these injections yes. because we hear a lot of scary stories from people who are um, giving these injections and just in yeah. a salon somewhere or from friends or at Botox party. So it's very important that I can access this in Clonmel with someone who's medically qualified.
13: Well, we're just outside of the treatment room now
14: and I can hear singing who's singing? that's Dr Vaughan so okay. this happens from the time he comes in in the morning his clients go out the door in a previous life he was actually a tenor he sang literally so he this is he doesn't listen to that isn't that amazing it's incredible yeah.
13: so you have this going on all of the time.
14: literally we actually have the uh, music on and we turn the music down literally so we're knocking the door and tell him to <laughs> tell him to
13: stop literally
14: but he's great isn't he Yeah. isn't, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. isn't he fantastic yeah. wow yeah. I
13: could listen yeah. to him all day as well well a man of many talents Indeed. Oh, well done.
14: One, we're going to get you to go Beautiful. off with Fran, at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're actually
13: a yes. Fran and
14: the other Muriel that and I Juan. Do. So yes, yeah, indeed. there's a new, there's could, a new. Could easily
13: work indeed. <laughs> <Yeah>. Could easily <laughs> work indeed. Um, the treatment was most impressive. I mean, I thought there was much more to it, to be honest.
14: It isn't really hard to explain to yeah. anyone. Like yeah, you're you terrified of those, the aesthetic yeah. world. Mm. The aesthetic world, like that's really invasive. Yes. Like it's just, it's nearly superficial. You don't feel anything. Mm. The injection is tiny, and when you have somebody like uh, Dr. Juan, or a proper medical doctor, they yeah know the anatomy they know the facial anatomy they know the body so they know exactly what they're doing so for us like it's 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 in what would you say a no-brainer or whatever once you see it done you're actually quite comfortable now that you think yeah maybe i'd like to get something like that and trish
13: was so comfortable and you know it was Mm. something she obviously enjoyed getting you see
14: it's like being at a dentist yeah it's like going to the doctor like, if you know the person that you're going to is an expert, mm. well, then you're going to relax and you're going to feel quite safe mm. in their hands, aren't and she you? She was
13: very careful about making the point that she checked that out. She wanted somebody who was qualified.
14: I think that's really important. And it's one mm. of the things that we're trying to get across. Like, um, sometimes people, like, the, the, lately it's like by the mill, mm. literally in the aesthetic world, you're paying by the mill. And people ring us here and they're like, what price are you? And, oh, I can get it down the road for whatever it is. You know, we don't even entertain that, Fran, mm. because we have the experts we have in this setting that we're in mm. you're literally you're paying for product where is it bought what kind of product is it yes. is it is it reputable etc etc mm. and then for the doctor and for the service and all the bits and pieces so that's the way it has to be and like trish here you have to be totally comfortable and skip back down the stairs like you've been shopping on your lunch time yes, and you have the handbag and the, handbag and the shoes after, and
13: smiling afterwards and everything and that's listen
14: great. fran if that's the, i know we've had a lady in here but we've actually had three men in here this morning and they've all had their anti-wrinkle injections You know, so like lads, if you're listening and I don't care what you're doing for a living, Mm. if you look in the mirror and you're not happy with what you see and you feel you're getting that little bit older, pick up the phone and call us because it's equal, literally, you know, for the men as as well as the women.
13: That's that aspect of what you do. You have other plans, weight loss, nutrition, they're they're all hugely important to you as well.
14: The the weight loss side for January has been literally like up the walls, I I have to say. More than usual even literally clients as one comes in one has gone out mm-hmm. so i have 14 clients today i think and that's literally back to back um yeah so on every single side of that it, i said it last week People are so worried about mm. their weight. I think it's nearly the number one before anything else. And you know it's more the aesthetic side of weight, Fran, than mm. it is of the course. actual health side. So I can have all the blood markers and I can say to people like, your cholesterol's up, this is wrong, that's wrong, but they'll actually talk to me about the aesthetic side. Mm. You know, I need to lose X amount of weight, maybe my clothes don't fit me, mm. I can't get into whatever, I don't want to go out and that kind of thing. So the aesthetic side with the weight loss actually come together, you know, like a, a, a jigsaw puzzle. For all the world, so that's that side, and then we have the other side as in you can see all the beautiful skincare um, range. So the DB skincare range, um, that's beautiful, and then we have all the medicated uh, skincare products. So that's really important to us because for one to recommend skincare to somebody after they have had a treatment done, right. to have the medicated side.
13: And, and again, then, there's a trust there because it's from him. It, that's literally, yeah. yeah mm. You
14: have your vitamin C's and your retinols and all yes. your bits and pieces in it. We're just walking a little again, mm. um, guys, and we're in the other another treatment room. Mm-hmm. So this treatment room here literally it's the next level then if you actually get your aesthetic work done so for the eyebrows and all the other sides of beauty yes and that's why this room was put in here so again it's really private but if you get something done and there's something else then that we actually notice well maybe you need like your eyebrows done or the eyelashes Mm. whatever it is you're in here in this beauty space so this is the third room that um yeah kind of completes the picture picture OK, so um, we're going to skip out the door fast now uh-huh. before Dr Wan comes after you, Fran. I because think so. um uh, I think so. You could actually go in and sit in the bed and have a full consultation. Well, I, I
13: need to be completely rebuilt. Uh, would he sort of look at the possibility of that?
14: Well, the fact you're on radio, you get away with a lot on radio every day, don't you? But the <laughs> fact that you're out know. every single weekend, yes. I think you have a look that you're going to have to maintain. So um, mm. I think you're definitely going to have to sit in that bed. So um, maybe before saw. you go, you might actually go in <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> and see what he can actually do for you. Yes, yeah.
13: let's see if he, have, if he has that much time. Muriel, great to see you.
14: Thanks you very too. much, thanks Fran.
0: And there you go. Thanks to Fran and Muriel for that. Fran's off today, so we'll see tomorrow if he did, in fact, get anything done. Can't wait to see that, uh, Doctor Juan. Oh my God, what a character! What a voice! My goodness, I'd love to have him sit by my bed every morning and just have him there and he'd say, you're a good girl, Alison, you're going to have a great day. Wouldn't that be lovely, Dr. Wan? Anyway, Muriel is back with us for the Health Slot again next Thursday just after 11. Uh, If you want to feel bad about yourself today, go no further than the Gloss magazine in the Irish Times because they have an article on clean fluencers. So if you're not aware of what a clean fluencer is, it's an influencer online. So Mrs. Hinch, I think, would be probably the well-known one. And she's the one who kind of gives life hacks for cleaning and tips on cleaning and that kind of thing. But there's a few Irish clean influencers featured in this article. And how they're dressed doing their housework, I tell you, puts us all to shame. Full hair done, full makeup done, wearing dresses and high heels, one hoovering uh, in full getup, bracelets and all, high heels, holding a baby. Uh, another one cleaning the windows with a set of pearls as well. So that's the standard, ladies. We all have to meet that. It's in the Gloss magazine today, just in case you're looking for it. 083 311, 311 or 1800 007. We're back after this. Welcome back to Tip Today. I mentioned the Hardy Cup final as well coming up this Sunday. Uh, a listener reminded me as well, of course, the CBS, which I'd forgotten about. Thanks for reminding me. They're also in action uh, this weekend. The senior hurlers in the CBS in Mitchellstown. they're playing their monster GAA um, final against uh, Palace Henry in Kilmallock this coming Saturday at 12 noon. Uh, I know it's a Cork school, but a lot of South Tip lads heading to that. Uh, And on that team as well, I know a few from Ballyburncourt direction as well on that team. Uh, Fantastic players on that team. So good luck to the CBS as well in that this weekend. Great weekend for the young, uh, underage Tip players uh, in the county in those schools final. And certainly the future is looking bright. Now, in relation to dumping and uh, rubbish, and we were talking to, I think Mike was it earlier... Uh, who was talking about how he feels that the rubbish situation has gotten worse on roadsides. A listener says, In relation to rubbish and fly-tipping, why can't our children be taught in creche, junior, senior infants and all the way through primary school? To initially be participants in keeping the schools clean, to instill a sense of pride in their surroundings, where they can bring that into adolescence and adulthood, it works in Japan. Starting early by involvement can only benefit everyone over time. And as children, they would bring that mindset into the home. If it's not there already, by starting from the get-go, they'll never forget, if that makes sense. And that's from Robert. Robert, thanks for that. Some great advice in that. Keep those texts coming into us. 083-311-3311 or 1800-938-007. Remember, you have about 10 minutes as well to enter a competition. That's for a one-month membership to the Leisure Centre at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. All you need to do is text Talbot, followed by your full name and address to those numbers 083 311 3311 or 1800 938 007. Now, another big news story this morning is this news that the ESB is to repay every household in Ireland after accidentally overcharging us for more than a decade. An Oireachtas committee heard on Tuesday that the ESB misapplied a support measure for 1,500 of the largest power consumers in Ireland. This saw households being penalised with higher bills over a period of 12, 12, one, two years. One of our listeners, Pat, joins me now. Pat, good morning.
17: Good morning, Ali. How
0: are you? I'm good, Pat. Good to talk to you this morning. Now, I know the ESB are very slow to come back with the compensation, even though they have agreed that, you know, we will pay the compensation and people will get it. But it may take time because we have to get it from the companies and it might take time to get it all from them and to give it out. Eamon Ryan, I believe, has said that's not good enough. It has to be paid. And if it's coming from your pocket, it's coming from your pocket. What's your view on it? Um,
17: DSP is is, uh, is at fault here um, for some reason because um, the, the subvention, um, what it was at the time, it was the, the, the large energy user rebalancing subvention mm. was only brought in just to help the bigger companies, the, the large consumers of the data centers and whatever it is. Now, there's banding around between 1,500 customers and 1,900 customers. You've just mentioned there are 1,600 customers. And they have benefited to the tune of 50 million annually yeah. for the 12 years. That equates to 600 million, right? There's 1.5 million of, of the residential customers in Ireland that were, that were actually, uh, what do you call it, um, using their energy bills to... To, to, to,
0: to supplement these companies. The, the, the large yeah. energy companies,
17: right? Now, they're saying that the estimates are, are that this is 600 million and it's going to be divided by the 1.5 million customers, and that equates to 50 euro per, per customer. Uh, now, the, the, what do you call it, the ESB have said that they are going to drag, well, they didn't say it, they're, they're, just, they're, they're looking at the possibilities that this could be dragged out of the yeah. vote next October. Um, now, they, they, this came in in 2010, and all of a sudden, it was in, nobody knew about it. There was a regulator there, a regulator there, and it reminds me of the, the bank regulator that was around at the time as well. Uh, there was a regulator there, knew about this in 2021, and it's only now that the that Minister for Energy has has, no, has been notified about it.
0: Yeah, it'd make uh, you wonder, I mean, is it is it negligence on someone's part, or is it ignorance? So did they know what was happening and they didn't care and didn't notify us, or was it the I'd fact they didn't was, know? Oh,
17: I'd say they were afraid because the simple reason is, is it, it just wasn't a thing that was that was done. Uh, say, right, we're going to give them fifty million back over the next five, over the next ten years, or the next five years to get them over the hump, or whatever the case may be. There's a talk that this is a percentage. This is where um, that there's, it, every customer is not going to get fifty fifty euro each. I don't think because it can be worked up to a hundred euro per person. Like if you have a high residential. Uh, uh, a customer with a high residential bid of ESB. Hmm. You now my bids would be in, during the winter months. Even last year, were seven hundred every two oh every my two God. months. Because, because I I have a, a, a air to water. I don't use iron.
6: Yeah. And
17: uh, it's a cheaper system, far, far cheaper than iron if I wanted to maintain the, the the temperature in my house. But the only thing about it is that I would be a I would consider a high energy user um, from customer point of view.
0: Okay. Now, is that because it's running all the time, Pat? Sorry, is that because it's running all the time? It's
17: running now. It's running and it's on thermostat, since it's running all the time. But it keeps the. It's very easier. It, it's very easier to maintain heat than it is to generate. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um,
17: and that's the reason it's there. Like it cost me around about fifteen hundred euro a year if I was using it. would be Four grand. Yeah. Easy. no problem. So like it is a cheaper system when you spread it out over the time. Um. You know, the only thing about it is that that we just say, for example, that my energy bills would be a little bit higher than than. than than just an ordinary household, where they'd be spending maybe half that mm. in the two months. Now I would expect that that if it is a percentage of the the the, the persons the, 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 the cost the residential customers bill, then I would expect a little bit more than the fifty euro. Yeah.
0: Right?
17: Bit, now, I... I don't trust. I don't trust if 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 it trust, if it is turning out that they're saying that the ESB are doing up the estimates. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't trust a company that's. That's going to be, um, how would I call it, self-regulating.
0: Yeah.
17: You know. Well, uh, it
0: makes sense. I mean, there's talk that we're going to get another one of these credits, these energy credits uh, next month or so. So if that is the case and we're, we're due to get another 200, why not put the 50 on that, give us the 250, and then the government can chase ESB first. Well,
17: the government is the beneficiary of, 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 of the dividends that the ESB pay.
0: Yeah.
17: Right? So they're, the, you know, they're afraid that they're going to lose out on, on, on whatever it is. 100 million or 600 million of a dividend, and and uh, that they can't. They want this dividend. In other words, they want the money paid into their accounts. And then they decided, into the end, whether they it back or not. And you're talking about going back until next October. Maybe next October, the war in Ukraine could be over. So now we want the money.
0: Yeah, you know, but they'll and find some way of swallowing it up that time anyway. They'll hike prices to get back the 50, so it'll mean nothing to us anyway. It'll mean nothing to us. Like DSP
17: is at the moment, is the units are 48 cents per unit. Like. When when I put in that system, I was telling you about uh, it was 19 cent a unit.
0: You're joking,
17: you know. And that's 11 years ago. Oh, sorry, nine years ago. Wow. You know, nine, just 19 cent a unit, and it went up into 21 cent. But 19 cent a unit was 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 you know was was brilliant because mm. it was a cheap method to, to heat a house and whatever the case would be. But gone up to 48 cent big difference, you
0: know. Huge. Pat, you know, I, what I'm worried about, particularly this week, is we have these stories about the disability payment, about the nursing home fees, now about Electric Ireland. It's completely eroding trust in the government and in the agencies that we trust to give us services that we need and to protect us. Are you getting that feeling from everything
17: getting, that's happening? I'm getting the feeling that the country is run by civil servants mm. and the civil servants will be telling the, the ministers what to do or whatever the case may be and we we'll go back to that regulator again. Like, if the regulator knew about this in 2021, and it's only this week that the minister, wrote, the minister for energy, who's the boss over this, knows about it. There's something wrong, There's a, there's, there's there's a, a disconnect between uh, the regulator and the government, or there's, there's something going on that we just don't know about. Uh, and I would, as you said there, it's a sense of mistrust. Yeah. The, the, the civil servants are running the country, and they are the people that that will tell the ministers what to do. It's like that, that program, which was very, very fact, yes, Minister, yeah. you know. It was the civil servants was talking to the to the Prime Minister and telling him what to, how to run the country, you know.
0: And the real maddening thing this week, particularly for me, and it's on the front of the Irish Times this week, and it's to do with those nursing home charges and this defence of, well, this is the policy. We, we You know, we're taking legal advice. We don't want to put the cost on you as a people for this. Yeah, you know, just, we're doing it for you. We're doing it. But again, that, that, these these... Uh, they're, going
17: to, they're blaming a the lot of the, the stuff onto the Attorney General, right? Oh, we went, we got legal advice, and the Attorney General said no. One person said no. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I don't know. What that, about that, the morality of it? There's no morality there, you know, and especially they're hitting the vulnerable. Yeah. You know, the people that are inside the nursing homes, it's hard enough to put your dad or your mum or whatever the case would be into a nursing home and then to find at the end of the day that that, that you're being screwed. Mm. You know, and... and, and there is a certain amount of distrust with people on on legislation going forward. How can we not change it? How can we? Why is these things happening? You know, it's easy for, for politicians to stand up in the door and say, "Oh, mea culpa, mea culpa. I made a mistake, or whatever it is." That's alright. We made a personal mistake. But if a government makes a mistake, who is suffering? It's the vulnerable people that are suffering.
0: But I wish I they would care, do that, powers, though, Pat. I wish yeah, they would yeah. stand up and say, we did make a mistake on the nursing homes, and we're sorry, but it's not that. It's, well, well, we took legal advice, and this was the best thing we should have done in that situation. It's yeah, yeah. so yeah, like sweep did. it
17: under the carpet, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sweep it under the carpet. And there's it's, 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 it's a lot of drip feeding in the last three, four months as regards different things that are happening. And, like, you'd be worried about that, yeah. you know. What else is out there? You know, and as well as that, the, the ESB at the moment is forty eight cents per, per unit. And it's it's a bugbear of mine because the, the price of gas has gone down a small bit. Yeah. Right. The price of oil has gone down a bit. Right? But we've seen no reflection in our ESB bills. No. Okay, we've got the two hundred euro back, but the two hundred euro is it up.
0: Yeah.
17: And my ESB bill last in January was nine hundred and forty three euro.
0: Oh my god, Pat. With the
17: with the two hundred euro off it, so to be twelve hundred euro. With the two hundred and fifty. It's just two hundred and fifty. We got the fifty euro, we got the two hundred as well. You know? Yeah. And that's because it's forty eight cents per unit. It's 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 frightening, you know. You have yeah. to pay it.
0: Your families can pay that. Pat, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Ali, bye bye. All the best. Too. Thanks, Pat. Uh just to bring you some text before we go to the ad break in relation to rubbish. A listener says the rubbish along our roadsides is a disgrace. The main road to and from Cashel to Knockavilla is shameful. I've tried to pick some up, but the road is so dangerous you're putting your life at risk. Surely the council can see to this and put in safe traffic control while the roads are being cleared. Communities need to be more vigilant and get out there and clean up their local areas. Take some pride in their beautiful countryside on a regular basis. Another listener says, Paddy, taxpayer pays for everything and we're not asked or told about it. A country of cover-up and hide everything, it never ends. And transparency is not in the vocabulary. Let's hope that they don't find out that's the attitude. Uh, another listener says, Why not suspend the standing charge for one bill, a direct pay allowance to every customer? That's a good idea. That's from Tommy. Uh, and traffic in Tip Town. Paul says... Regarding the traffic flow, I believe that replacing the traffic lights with a roundabout and also installing zebra crossings on each exit approach would improve the flow of traffic greatly there. Keep those texts coming in to us. 083 311 3331 or 1800 938 we We're back to talk about baby names after this.
4: Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com.
0: Welcome back to Tip Today. Mike in care, text in relation to the poor old ram. That poor ram, he's really doing the rounds today, but not in the way he should be doing the rounds. Uh, the story about the reluctant ram should be passed on to dear Phil. You know, I'm, I wouldn't put it past Phil. She'd definitely have advice for that ram anyway, but I'm telling you, a nice, a good smelly candle. And a bit of mood music. That's probably what that poor Al Ram needs. Anyway, Love Island star Molly May Hague She's revealed her baby daughter's unique name. Now, for those of you not aware of Molly May Hague or who she is, she's um, an influencer, I suppose you call her. She was on Love Island uh, and that's kind of what really made her famous. But she had a baby girl this week and she named the baby girl Bambi. As in the deer, Bambi, the, the cartoon. Now, she said she'd always wanted this name from when she was a very young child. She wanted something that was very unique and that nobody else had and fell in love with the name Bambi. Uh, now, it's not based on the cartoon character. I think it's Italian in origin. It means little, little child or something. It's Bambino, I think, is kind of the origin of it. But... A lot of people really divided kind of the online community this week. Some loving it, some hating it. Well, Vicki O'Callaghan now is one of the founders of Baby Boo, which is a retail company that creates quality clothing for children. She joins me on the line now. Vicki, good morning. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning, Vicki. Can I take it? I know it's none of our business really what she names her baby, but we all love the drama of it. Do you like the name Bambi? Ah, look, each to their own, you know. Exactly. It wouldn't be one that I would choose myself. <laughs> it's cute, though, isn't it? It's cute. Yeah.
18: Look, it's, it's not unusual for celebrities to choose unusual names, you know.
0: In terms of, like, normal folk like you and me, do you, are you finding parents or per- prospective parents are looking for that more unique name now? We
18: see a big mix, to be honest. So we, we do a lot of personalisation in Baby Boo. Um, our blankets and bibs and lots of our products can be personalised so we see all sorts believe me but I think for Irish parents the Irish traditional names are always top of the list Really? Yeah definitely like there's always Oisín, Pike, Rhian, a lot of the traditional Irish, for the girls we're seeing a lot of Creeas, Cuevas, Theas um, a lot of names Irishized. <laughs> right. So, so kind of turned Irish. So, like, for example, my daughter's name is Ruby, and um, we had one last week with R-U-B-I, Father. Oh. So different versions of, of I suppose, the English names turned Irish. But we see, we see a good mix, but a lot of Irish, and a lot of the old traditional names coming back. So the likes of Nell, Ivy. Oh, lovely. Yeah, a lot of those lately, you know.
0: I've seen I read an article there recently that there's a few names dying out, like Bridget is one of them and Gubnet and uh, a lot of them dying out. Do you have any requests for those names anymore?
18: We do. You'd still see the odds name. Um we had a Mora last week, for example, but you, not as often. Um mm. I suppose with the unusual names you'd see at different times of the year so always after love island for some reason really? we see the names of the the different people in love island would be more popular for two or three months and then they'll die down again so That's it's, it's very funny. interesting
0: yeah and what other kind of are there any other shows or or trends that kind of have that effect i suppose we'd see influencers
18: so when somebody on instagram or tiktok has a baby and calls their name their baby a specific name we'd see a lot of that name for a while. Um, So, like, in particular now, of recent years, I suppose, when Rosie Connolly had Remy, we had Remy's for weeks and weeks. When Lisa Jordan had Bowie, Bowie became really popular for a while.
0: That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's mad. Uh, what's really popular now as well is the name reveal. And we always thought that this was something kind of more famous people or influencers do, that once the baby is born, they have this kind of photo shoot mm-hmm. essentially and reveal the baby's name. Are are ordinary people doing that now as well? There's definitely more of it. Um, and more of
18: the whole gender reveal and name reveal. I think that's kind of coming from America, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I think so.
18: Um, yeah, we, we do see a lot of that. Um, and a lot of, I suppose... Um, we, so one of our bibs for example that we do is the name with it's anemdom so you can put whatever name in okay. or we have a bib it's called the introducing bib and it has like introducing text and you can put the name into a little box so they've become very popular.
0: Another popular thing to do now as well is kind of the one month so the stage pictures so yes. they're quite popular aren't they? Milestones yes, yeah, yeah all
18: the different milestones you, we see those all the time and um, and it's funny, like there's there's lots of things that we adopt in from America as time goes on, you know. We've yeah. been in business nine years this year now and we've seen lots of different trends come and go, to be honest, but um a lot of them coming from states.
0: Can I be very bold and ask you what was the weirdest name you ever had to do?
18: Oh god. Um you've caught me off guard a bit there now.
0: <laughs> I don't you don't want to give out state secrets though, do you? No,
18: not
2: not weird, but I suppose
18: Things, like when the Kardashians for example when Kylie called the baby wolf and then changed the baby's name a few weeks later we saw a few wolves coming um, or the likes of I suppose other unusual names that we'd see lately bear would be quite popular. I,
0: I don't know why there are many that's unusual Cheryl names Cole, anymore. Cheryl Cole had a bear wasn't it? Was that where bear did, came absolutely. from? Possibly yeah, yeah. quite possibly. Um, so but, are all yeah, parents finding out the gender now? Before a lot that. of
18: them do right. i think yeah we do this poll actually every so often and it's about 50-50 um with people finding out the gender in advance and have you'd see you know that they'll they'll have the little i'm going to be a big sister yeah. um and then little sis matching bib or little bro or you know all this kind of thing
0: what do you think then about Bambi do you think Bambi is one that's going to to stick for for irish mums time will tell I think we'll definitely see a few
18: bambies because as we've seen with other people you know they are easily influenced in some areas yeah. so I'm sure we will see bambies coming on and Bambino I'm sure will be one um, but yeah it's, it's. I don't know will it would it last i don't know i know maybe she changed the name in a few weeks
0: <laughs> and that's the thing and some people could might be drawn in by it and then they change the name but i i know she spoke herself and she said that this was something she kind of picked from when she, she was a child and she'd been kind of teasing it if you look back now she was teasing it all along yes um,
18: the teddy but, bear in the crib and
0: stuff she did yeah absolutely is it mostly tell us about your own business about baby boo um you you're, you're creating clothing as well for yourself for children isn't it yeah
18: so we make organic cotton clothing so our kids uh, myself and michelle my business partner all had eczema so that was kind of the the core element i suppose when we were starting off we wanted to create a sustainable product that didn't irritate children's skin was it difficult so to
0: source things at that time for you
18: it would have it was difficult really? at the time yeah so we were 100 percent cotton for a while and we kind of moved into organic cotton after a few years so most of our products are organic cotton now, um, which is fantastic. We yeah. Our bandana bib would be our biggest seller. We we hit a million bibs this year on those. Actually, we sold a million. Well done. So it was incredible.
0: Anyone who's looking to maybe look at uh, what you have on offer, the website, where can they get access to that? It's babyboo.ie. Babyboo.ie. Perfect. Vicky, lovely to talk to you this morning. Thanks, Thanks so, much so much for joining Alison. us. That's uh, Vicky O'Callaghan there. Babyboo.ie, that's a retail company creating quality clothing for children. Uh, just the last few texts there a listener says Bambi they're all gone bananas uh, but the program was equally renamed uh, it should have been called Lost Island instead of Love Island that's from a listener um, also a listener says the council um, have the charges gone up in the recycling centre so dumping will increase big time from now that's from John in Tiptown let Must check that out I wasn't aware of that John we'll, we will check that out also Mary was in, in contact with us she says I'm with board gosh, do we get the 50 euro. I pay them 66 per unit, have a bill here for 1,600 euro. It's doing my head in. Mary, um, I'm not too sure. And like what's, uh, you know, it's very unclear how this €50 is going to be paid and when it's going to be paid. Um, I think ESB, by the sons of it, will probably have to be forced into it. But that remains to be seen. We'll certainly keep a close eye on it. Just to let you know, our winner for today, that's uh, for the one-month membership of the Talbot Leisure Centre in Clamel. Our winner is Jackie McGrath in Clarahan. Well done to you, Jackie. Now, if you weren't lucky today, we'll give you another chance to win tomorrow. Fran will be back with you on tip today from 9am to give you another chance to win. That's it for today. Thanks for all your calls and texts and to all our contributors. And thanks to Emma on the phone. Stephen is up next with The Lunchtime Show. Have a great day.